The spooky, scary smile in the dark, the always fantastic grin. This is your co-host Ryan. Surprised didn't go with grim green ghost. <laughs> grim green ghost. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that would have been good. <laughs> Kindly step all the way in, please, and make room for everyone. There's no turning back now. And consider this dismaying observation: this podcast has no windows and no doors, which offers you this chilling challenge to find a way out. <laughs> of course, there's always my way. Though. Happy Halloween, everyone. Happy Halloween, y'all. And happy one-year anniversary to Anime Bebe, and what a first year it's been. I know, one year has already gone by. Yeah, one year into doing this podcast, and how are you feeling, man? How am I feeling? Uh, pretty good, pretty good. I'm, I'm actually glad we uh, remained committed to this for uh, one entire year. Yeah. I mean, I can't even... I have trouble committing myself to my job for an entire year. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm glad this was uh, this was something we put some uh, good passion into for the first year. Absolutely. And, like, you know, any favorite moments or episodes that kind of stick out in your mind here from this past year? Oh, any good moments and any good episodes. Well, um, I don't know. I've enjoyed all of the My Hero Academia episodes we've done. Those have always been an absolute blast. Oh, God, yeah. The episode we did with uh, Tony in particular on the film. Oh, man, loved that. So Our first cool. guest appearance. Yes, first of many, hopefully. Yes, first of many, and trust trust us, folks. We got plenty of uh, cool people and uh, cool friends we would love to uh, bring on this podcast that we plan to bring on here. So look out for that in the future. Definitely. Like for me, some highlights are, are of course, uh, Summer of Heroes talking about My Hero Academia for like four months out of the year, and also 
another favorite thing I love doing is just earlier this year giving out about Black Clover for three hours. <laughs> <laughs> I was proud of that. That that was pretty awesome of you, man. And also, I love that this one thing I love about this podcast in general is like it's giving me another outlet outside of Twitter where I can put over the voice actors that I really like. You know, like Cliff Shape and Justin Briner, Matt Shipman, and, and of course Brent April. Whoop whoop. Exactly. You're like their uh, you're like their hero in the shadows. You know, helping them out along the way. Yeah. Yeah, and also, of course, uh, putting over Amelie, Amanda Lee, by inserting some of her amazing anime covers in the podcast when we go in and out of breaks for certain episodes. Yes, as always, those are fantastic. Very so, talented. Yes, we're always game to uh, give some musicians out there some well-needed boost. And also, knowing the, that people do, in, in fact, actually listen to us is, like, one of the biggest highlights. Like, I, I can't thank them all enough that people are actually listening to this thing that we do just for fun yes yes this thing that uh is, that we really only do like uh, once a month you know i mean i mean i know there's some podcasts out there that do like bi-weekly or even weekly i don't know how they do it patreon yeah patreon of course <laughs> <laughs> though uh, i think we're still i don't know if we're a ways off from that i don't know what plans you have in store but um no uh, i'd say we're pretty happy with what we have right now yeah, I'm very content with how things have been going, and we had a good first year, but I can safely say year two is going to be even better. Oh yeah, we got some things on the horizon that I'm really looking forward to. Oh yeah, some surprises, some things you never thought we would do, and also another summer series, but you know, when I'm ready to announce that, I'll pull the trigger on that one. Yes, suffice to say, we've got some uh, great trouble on the way for oh, yeah. all of you to enjoy, so yes. <laughs> listen in for that in the future. But now, let's celebrate our first full year of podcasting and celebrate this spooky time of year by talking all about one of our top contenders for best anime of 2019. I'm of course referring to The Promised Neverland. Oh, undoubtedly one of the best of 2019. I was very impressed with the series. God, and like, hell, like looking at how the fall season has been going and while there are some good stuff I like, but like, you know, I can safely say, yeah, this is the best thing. Really? The, the, the best thing? Because I think on the way, we still have that uh, wrestling uh, isekai anime on the way. Oh, that's I've been watching that. That's pretty good, but it's it's no promise Neverland, I can tell you. <laughs> but I, I dig the hell out of that, though. <laughs> but it's literally a wrestler going to a fantasy world and suplexing people. It combines our two favorite things. <laughs> uh, well, speak for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> but first things first, a little bit of the background. The Promised Neverland is based on a manga of the same name written by Kaiyu Shirai. Uh, Kaiyu spelled K-A-I-U, not, not like spelled the same way as the shitty cartoon character. <laughs> oh, come on. Why couldn't you let me imagine Kaiyu writing a manga? <laughs> Just be crying all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and this manga is also illustrated by Posuka Demizu, and it's published by the company Shueisa for Weekly Shonen Jump. The very same Weekly Shonen Jump, home to hits like One Piece... My Hero Academia, and Dr. Stone. But it's also home to bullshit like Black Clover. But, you know, Promise Another Land is not bullshit. I can tell you that. Oh, yes. I mean, from what I've seen of the manga alone, I haven't... Well, this is what's going to make this kind of interesting, because um, whereas with My Hero Academia, I was completely up to date on the manga with that series, and you were, had only watched the anime, uh, here it's flipped. I yeah. have only watched these uh, anime episodes, and you got completely caught up with the Promised Neverland. Yeah, like, this is a total role reversal here, because, like, I'm kind of mostly caught up with Promised Neverland. Yeah, so I'm, this time, I'm in the dark, while you have come into the light. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, man. But yeah, going back to my previous point, the manga alone looks freaking gorgeous. It is so good-looking, like, one of the best-looking 
Shonen Jump mangas out there. It, it's definitely up there with like One Piece, My Hero, and Doctor Stone as far as like the manga goes. Yeah, compared to some of the, some of the other ones, I would say it's uh, far more intricately drawn too. Yeah, its its art style fascinates me. Yeah, and also like. This is uh, one of the rare mangas where it's like uh, two different people working on it, where you have one person do the writing and one person do the illustrating, which is pretty rare. Yeah, you don't see that very often. I mean, the, the other most famous one I can name that does that, of course, is uh, Death Note, but uh, not too many others that I can name. Uh, others I can name off the top of my head are uh, Dr. Stone, which is the same thing, written by a different person and illustrated by another person. Oh, okay. And also uh, Boruto. Mmm, yeah, that is... Oh, that does actually come to mind now. So, uh, some background on the author of Kaiyu Shirai, since uh, they're the brains of this operation here. Well, there's actually not much info I can find about them. In fact, we don't even know their gender, birthday, or even their real name. Like, Kaiyu Shirai is actually a pen name. Completely shrouded in mystery, this person is. I have been seeing some of that among uh, other manga creators as well, I believe, where they're favoring... Uh, some I've found are favoring more and more anonymity. Yeah. Which, um, I can, well, I mean, when you look at the current, like, the current state of internet culture, I can understand why you would favor anonymity. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't blame anybody for that. But, um, no, I don't, I don't see that kind of anonymity among, uh, more, I've seen it more among, uh, Japanese creators than I have among, um, uh, American comic creators, though, so, um. Yeah, I kind of don't know why it's more uh, common. Well, I've seen it more commonly over there. Yeah, and it's also, like, more of a modern thing, because, like, you know, you look at, say, Oda, like, he's out in the open, but, like, he's been writing since, like, the 90s, so it's kind of like, he just started off out in the open because that was kind of the thing. Well, you say out in the open, but he still actually prefers to not have his face shown at all to people. Yeah, well, I say out in the open for the most part. Like, yeah, we, there's we different... know his name, and we actually know, like, little bit about his personal life there's different levels of like uh public um there's different levels of public anonymity you know that i see among creators out there i mean yeah like oda like i just mentioned he still doesn't like showing his face i mean he went on tv with like an interview recently and they blurred out his face completely yeah (laughs) and even uh horikoshi wears masks yeah he wears like kind of the uh kind of the beak mask the beak mask and also just like Various steampunky masks, yeah. you know, <laughs> which I guess is fitting for the guy since he writes a he, he writes a manga about heroes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he has a secret identity. He's got a secret identity. <laughs> like when he goes in to write like another chapter of My Hero, he pulls like a Clark Kent, takes off the glasses, runs into a phone booth, and then comes out with like his uh, writing utensils. Who knows? Maybe Horikoshi isn't even his actual name. No. Maybe he's got a whole entire different personality. Maybe he's actually from Krypton. Maybe he is. Who yeah. knows? He's actually the last son of Krypton, and his name is Kal-El. <laughs> we could hope. But, uh, yeah, we've got a level of uh, anonymity with these creators here. Yeah, and, like, uh, what we do know from uh, Shirai here is that uh, they started off as a complete and total amateur in, man- in the manga world, as after graduating from university, they got just a regular job, and then they later resigned so they can be professional mangaka. They began submitting manuscripts to magazines, and in 2015, Shirai published their first professional work, a standalone piece called The Location of Ashley Gate in Shonen Jump Plush, which is a digital print of uh, Shueisha. Hmm. And again, in the same magazine, they published their second work, which is another standalone piece called Poppy's Wish, which is their first collaboration with uh, Posca Denizu here. And, like, that was before they did Promise Neverland. Oh, okay. And then soon after that, they would start to work on their second collab, which would eventually become The Promise Neverland. The interesting thing about uh, The Promise Neverland, where it originated from, it started from a draft 
called Neverland, but they, ever, they eventually had to change it to The Promised Neverland to avoid any copyright issues from the Peter Pan people. Oh, please tell me it was going to be like a net, like it was going to be a Peter Pan adaption for manga. <laughs> oh, that would have been great. Oh, that would have been great to see anime Captain Hook. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Shirai brought this uh, draft to Jump Editorial Department in 2014, and it covered the entire series first arc in 300 pages like he had the first arc already planned out and like gave it to them in 2014 saying hey this is what i want to do what do you think of it but uh you know he didn't get a greenlit until 2016 so he sat on they sat on this for uh for uh, two years Yeesh, that's gotta be that cannot be easy to do sitting on a bomb that big <laughs> yeah i would not be able i would not have the um the uh, fortitude for that yeah, my guess is, like, Shonen Jump, they probably wanted to see, like, what Shirai can do, you know, do these one-shots, let's see what you got, and then when they think you're ready, okay, let's go full force with this. Yeah, publishing over in that country can be finicky, or at least for that pub, for, like, any manga publication, I should say. Yeah, very much so. And two years after the original draft, The Promised Neverland began in Weekly Shonen Jump on August 1st, 2016, and at the time of this recording, is still going on, but since this past August of 2019... It has currently entered the climax of its final arc. Yeah, it's almost done. It's almost done, and... <laughs> oh, boy. That's all I can say. Who oh boy. <laughs> oh, man. Now I'm the one in anticipation. As for the anime, it was announced in Shonen Jump on May 28th, 2018, and it began airing the following year on January 11th, 2019, until March 29th of the same year. The anime is produced by Cloverworks, which is a studio under A1 Pictures. Uh, A1 Pictures, they had uh, two separate studios. One was, was their uh, Asagai studio, which was their main studio, and the other was their uh, Koenji studio, which was rebranded as Cloverworks back in mid-2018. The reason they did this is because they wanted to have each studio have their own identity. So Asagai is just simply A1 Pictures, their main studio, and then Koenji is their Cloverworks, their other studio. Hmm. Uh, some notable works of Cloverworks since the rebrand include the uh, Persona 5 anime, Rascal does not dream of Bunny Girl Senpai, which I hear is good, but I don't believe it. Yeah, that's one of those ones that I just have, like, zero interest in checking out. And another big one, Darling in the Franks, yeah, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Fuck you, I love it. <laughs> hey, I didn't say anything. <laughs> I was talking to them. <laughs> oh, those people out there, the naysayers. You people. <laughs> As for the director, it's directed by Mamoru Kanbei. Some of his notable past works include storyboarding and directing multiple episodes of Cardcaptor Sakura, the original series, and also doing so doing the same thing for uh, Bakano. Ooh, how nice. Uh, but also he uh, directed Elf and Lead, so they're not all winners here. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, some people stand by that series, but uh, I won't ever, I don't think. <laughs> they're entitled to their own opinion. Yeah. <laughs> A very wrong one. Right. <laughs> On the English dub side of things, The Promised Neverland is licensed by Anaplex of America. So, hey, when this eventually comes out on Blu-ray, expect to spend about $150 on the full set because Anaplex prices their anime sets similar to how anime is priced in Japan. Oh, yeah, it's pretty awful. I mean, what's the worst pricing you saw? God, I think, like, Gurren Lagann was once, like, like uh, before the most recent Gurren Lagann box set, like, they had, like, a full set including, like, all the episodes, all the movies, and a bunch of extras that are just, like, superfluous and whatnot. But I remember them pricing it at around 600 bucks. I want to say. Ooh, God. Jesus fucking Christ. If you gotta take out a loan to purchase a box set, then it's not <laughs> worth it, dude. And it's just like, why do they keep doing this? They're still doing this. 
they gotta know it's not it's not like worthwhile to do that like who would actually they gotta think to themselves who would actually pay for this <laughs> thankfully they seem to have kind of like uh it, they seem to have kind of gotten a little bit better in some ways because uh they originally used to do something where they like hey we have the show Here's a Blu-ray of like four episodes, fifty bucks, please. Mm, no. And if you want the if you want the DVD, then that's extra. Oh god. <laughs> but yeah, this this whole asking for a couple hundred bucks for a full series is bullshit, and I can't even understand how they justify it. Mm, no, I can't imagine it either. Especially when companies like Funimation, Sentai, and Viz and others sell their shows at reasonable prices. Like, hey, here's twenty six episodes, fifty bucks. Fair. Right. Right. But it's just like nah. 150, arm and a leg, man. It's it's not a healthy way to sell your products. No, it's not. And it's just like, they don't show signs of stopping that. Uh, well, because you never know. There's going to be those people out there who will be willing to drop 600 bucks on that set. Yeah. And that's those are the people they're gunning for. Yeah, those crazy nerds. I know. Us? Got, people like us? They don't care about us because we look at that and are like, hey, what are you, crazy? We're not going to pay that much. No. Fucking, I want to spend this money on things that that I know are worth it. Oh, God. Yeah, sorry. I just wanted to give out about Aniplex and their bullshit business model. No, that is worth giving shit about, because that's, that's, that's horse shit right that is there. garbage. That's horrible. Yeah, so yeah, look forward to that eventual Promise Neverland Blu-ray. 200 bucks. Oof, yeah, yeah, that sounds, that sounds about right for yeah. what they would charge. God. As for the dub itself, it, it is recorded at Bang Zoom Entertainment and is directed by Steve Staley, with scripts written by Tyson Reinhardt for the first three episodes and Erica Mendez for episodes 4 through 12. And this dub was broadcasted here in the States on Toonami, which is how you saw it initially. Yes, that's how, uh, well, well, when it comes to certain things, I tend to try to wait until uh, certain things come out on Toonami because I want to support the network there. Mm -hmm. But, like, I remember when, like, that was announced, and it was, like, the day before we did our Toonami panel at Anime Detour, so it was just, like, one big last announcement, and you remember that I was getting, like, so excited. I was shaking in my chair talking about this, and you were all like, okay, this, you, you seem to like it, I'll, I'll, I'll look forward to it on Toonami. Well, I had heard, so I had already heard the good things about it, so I was anticipating it. Yeah, but, like, you remember me, I was just all like, ah, oh, you get to see this, holy shit, holy shit. Because the hype was already real enough for you, I had to wait. Yeah, it's real. Yes. <laughs> and so, with all that out of the way, the happy haunts have received your sympathetic vibrations and are beginning to materialize. They're assembling for a swinging wake, and they'll be expecting you. They want to talk all about the promised Neverland. So without further ado, let's come out to socialize <laughs> and start the show. Blah. Blah. I'll just cut it right there. <laughs>
let's talk about the opening and ending. The opening is touched off by Overworld, which, if you remember, they did the first opening to My Hero Academia Season 3, Odd Future. And the ending is Zetai Zetsume and Lamp by Koshune. But, uh, you know, just to get it out of the way, the endings are good, but we're really gonna talk about the opening, because it is fucking fire. Yeah, like, the ending, eh, it's fine, you know? Like, it's it's a nice little uh, bookend to the, to the show. But the opening, oh! oh this is one of the most satisfying openings, openings to an anime I've seen in a while. It's fire. Like, it even says so in the song that it's fire. Yes! <laughs> it's so goddamn good. Holy shit. When that, like, when that, like, uh, altered, like, saxophone comes in, the sexy sax that, like... <laughs> oh, man. Oh, it gets me every time. Oh, and, like, that little subtle opening where it's just like... And then just blares right into you. Oh, God, yeah. You are so ready. That saxophone player had better have been paid well. Oh, uh, hopefully. Like, more so than Sexy Sax Guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the visuals to this opening, like, holy shit, it looks so good. Just, like, characters running through the forest doing, like, parkour. You get shots of, like, people behind fences and everything. Good symbolism to everything as well. Yeah, look, like, most of what happens in the opening actually happens in the show, too. But it's all out of context, so you like, oh, what does this mean? And then later on when you find out, you go, oh, the opening foreshadowed that. Yeah, there's some good mystery to everything. I mean, I like the I like the sort of um, inlaid uh, puzzle design over some uh, scenes and the characters breaking through that puzzle. Oh, like one of the characters, like they're breaking through the mystery, the puzzle that surrounds them with a uh, Roman Reigns big dog punch. Yes. Oh. Oh my God. It's it's so good and like it's a song worthy of like all the attention it got and all the uh, anime fan covers it got. Which uh, one of one of which you'll hear in the break of uh, Amelie's version because it's also fire. God, such a good opening. Kick off with episode 1, 12, 10, 45. By the way, I should mention that the uh, each title is actually uh, a date within the show where something really important happens in that episode. So it goes by, like, uh, day, month, year. So this is the 12th of October, 2045. Mmm, okay, because I was wondering what those numbers symbolize. Yeah, so each, each of them represents a date, an important date where actually a big plot point happens within the episode. Oh, okay. So kick off with Grace Fieldhouse, an orphanage home to 38 kids with ages ranging from infant to about 11 years old. It's another morning, and just like any other morning, as the kids get ready for breakfast and a new day. As they get dressed in all their matching white outfits, we get to meet some of the kids. First up is Emma, played here by Erica Mendez, who can be seen as sort of the leader of the kids, as she's the one who wakes up first and always helps out all the other kids with their morning routines, and has a really bright and shining personality that others tend to gravitate towards. She's sort of like the big sister to these uh, orphan children, and she's also the oldest at age 11. First impressions of Emma here. So bubbly and so lovable, like right off the bat. Yeah, like you're really endeared to her from the moment like she wakes up everyone, and she's just all helpful and everything, and also playing with some of the kids too while they're getting ready for breakfast. I know, you can't not like her right off the bat. Yeah, just uh, one, of the, one of the best, like... Shonen Pro tags. We then meet some of the other older kids in Norman, played here by Jeannie Tirado, who you can tell is one of the goodest boys just by looking at him. <laughs> and Ray, played here by Laura Stahl, who looks like a young Sasuke. Yeah, a little bit, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> uh, these two are Emma's closest friends in the entire house. As all the children sit down for breakfast, we are then introduced to the mother of the orphans, Isabella, played here by Laura Post. 
Laura Post, by the way, no stranger to being an anime mom, as many of you will remember her as Ragyo Kiryuin in Kill a Kill. <laughs> That's, that just makes me laugh now. <laughs> And in that Knowing very, how this turns out. And in that very same show, her daughter was also played by Eric Mendez, so... Ah, there we go. <laughs> However, you know, Mama Isabella here, totally different from Ragyo, you know, not nothing like her at all, you know? <laughs> <laughs> During the scene, we get some shots of peculiar-looking tattoos on the kids' necks. They all have these kind of strange numbers there. It all seem to kind of, like, kind of weird there. But, eh, probably nothing. Yeah, you can write that off. <laughs> But enough about that, as we see Mom feeding Connie, played here by Jackie Lastra, who is the cutest little thing you've ever seen. You know, so sweet and adorable looking, and aw, she even carries a little bunny that she calls Little Bunny. Aw. <laughs> but back to something that's peculiar, as after breakfast time, it's time for some homeschooling with a really strange setup here. Like, each kid has headphones on, and they're instructed to answer each question within 10 seconds, and that the way they answer them is by scanning these uh, barcode-type things. It's a very, very, like, Orwellian kind of setup here. Yeah, you're, you're kind of feeling a little sense of unease as you see all this uh, the first for the first time. Yeah, but totally normal thing. You know, this is just the evolution of the school system in whatever country this takes place in. We, we don't know where it is, but, you know, it's fine, you know, respect other cultures. Yeah. As long as we have Grace Fieldhouse, we can be anywhere in the world. The scene does help to get over our three leads, as Emma, Norman, and Ray are the top of the class with perfect test scores. Norman is the smartest out of everyone, Ray is really good at problem solving, and Emma is a really fast learner and can pick up on things very easily. Though some of the other kids don't do as well as their OT3 here, such as Connie, who got one of the lowest cores, but, you know, she's so sweet we can overlook it. But someone who doesn't take it so well is Don, played here by Cedric Williams, who challenges top scorer Norman to a game of tag. Ooh, I will come back to Cedric Williams later, actually, because he's a voice actor I'd like to uh, highlight later. Ooh, nice. Though, uh, they call it tag, but it's more like hide-and-seek here, as everyone runs and hides from Norman, and if he catches them, they're just out. You know, it's not like here, when we play tag, it's like, oh, you get tagged, then you're it, you gotta chase everyone. Right. Yeah, it must be a weird Japanese thing. <laughs> <laughs> just like with school, Norman's really good at tag, too, as he's able to sneak up on everyone and get them out no trouble. Emma's one of the last ones who isn't out, and she and Norman have a nice little chase as Emma uses her athleticism to get away. So in the span of the first half of this first episode, the show is able to fully establish our main characters very well and very simply here. Mm, yes. Uh, the, the one thing I will uh, remark on pretty soon is um, just how uh, well-paced everything is in the series. Oh, God, yes. I also love the direction here, and you'll hear us say this... Say this a lot, probably. Well, it's way more interesting in the case of uh, The Promised Neverland, because honestly, not a whole lot to the plot allows for, like, because uh, the setting, you know, pretty plain overall. Um, you know, it's the, the whole setting, the setting of the series takes place here within this orphanage within the middle of this forest. So not much to do uh, visually, you know, but uh, it more than makes up with uh, the directing it does yes. here and there. Uh, whether it's uh, showing the passage of time by inlaying a uh, watch in the background as Norman is looking for kids. That's very good. Or even playing around with uh, different camera perspectives throughout the series as well. Uh, they, So yeah, you, you would think it would be a pretty plain series to watch. And yeah, in some parts it is. But man, it's it's it really knows how to um, push itself further in the parts that count. Yeah, and... This is all the animators here. Like in the manga, it's pretty it's pretty simple, but like here in the anime, they like really you know go above and beyond with stuff like the watch overlaid in the background, and also like a lot of the uh, camera angles and stuff like that. Yeah, 
Yeah, so it's all it's all on the animation team and like also storyboarding. I want to say too. I know, fantastic job adapting. I have to say, definitely. As Emma hides in a tree, she sees Norman and he falls flat on his face. So she rushes rushes over to him because she cares about his well being over a little game. But haha, it's all just a ruse as Norman pulls an Eddie Guerrero here and lies, cheats, and steals his way to victory. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that little that cheap little sucker. <laughs> but you know, once again, another moment. That's very short and simple, but it really gets over, like, part of our character's personalities here. You know, Emma cares a lot about her siblings, and Norman is, like, very crafty, and he can kind of think on his feet a little bit. Right, right. And also comes all naturally. It doesn't feel forced, you know? It's just like, hey, here it is, you know? We don't really need any expository dialogue. You get it. We trust you, audience. Right. But it's time for a rematch, and this time everyone is it, and they have to catch Norman. This may seem unfair, but don't cat out Norman, because he's a crafty little guy. While looking for Norman, Emma comes across something mysterious. It's a small, knee-high fence along with Norman, who also came by the same fence. First off, Norman, you lose. Second, what up with the fence? <laughs> it's just a tiny little fence. Yeah. <laughs> it was to keep out little rabbits or something. Hmm. You would think. No, I would imagine the rabbits would be able to jump over. Maybe it's like a special kind of, like, anti-rabbit fence. <laughs> <laughs> all we know about the fence is that Mom has told all these kids to never cross it or the front gate as it's dangerous out there. Stay here at the house where it's safe. More of the kids come by, such as Ray, Don, and Connie, as well as some other kids. We have Gilda, played here by Ryan Bartley, and Nat and his big Triple H nose, played here by Michelle Ruff, and... <gasps> My boy! The goodest, most adorable boy you've ever seen and should be loved by everyone who watches this show and follows the series. It's Phil! Played here by Amber Connor. <laughs> uh, we all love Connie, but seriously, Phil is the greatest, and I love him. Uh, <laughs> what do you love about Phil? He's the best... He can do no wrong, and if somehow you hate Phil, then I hate you. Without <laughs> Phil, life has no meaning. But he's just, ah, he's just so fucking cute as a button. Like, he just does everything, and he just, he always brings a smile to my face. It's just like, ah, I love you so much. Many of the kids are, a lot of the kids here are pretty adorable. I mean, it's part, it's part of uh, the initial selling point of the yeah, series. but him above all else. Right. <laughs> anyway, while looking at the fence, the kids talk about life outside the house, and they also talk about what they want to do when they eventually leave the house one day. Gilda wants to try on some new clothes because wearing white every day isn't great, probably after Labor Day too. And Nat wants to try new foods, Dom wants to find a girlfriend, and what does best boy Phil want? He wants to see a train! <laughs> like, not ride a train, he just wants to see one. Yeah, that's like the most fucking little kid thing ever, it's like, I want to see a train! Somebody get this boy a train right now. <laughs> As for our OT3, Norman wants to travel the world, Ray wants to learn how to survive, odd. But Emma doesn't want to leave, and she wants to stay at the house forever, because she loves everyone here, and just, she has all kinds of good memories at Gracefield House. This whole, the, the whole beginning half of this episode is just one big, like, collar tug. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Though someone doesn't have to wait too long until they leave the house, and that someone is Connie, as today is actually her last day at the house, as she's been adopted. She talks about how after she leaves, she wants to become a good mom like Isabella and love all her children like she does. Uh... Later that night, Connie tearfully bids farewell to her siblings and she and mom head out to the front gate. You know, I know it's sad, Connie, but you know, chin up. Everything's gonna be just fine. <clears throat> Wait for it. <laughs> As they make their way to the gate, mom starts humming a rather interesting song here. But, you know, meanwhile, back at the house, Emma sees that Connie forgot her little bunny. Well, Connie, you dits. We love you, but I swear sometimes you're going to be the death of us. Wait for it. <laughs> so Emma and Norman race to the front gate to give Connie her bunny before she leaves, and, well, 
you know what? What happens next is mostly visual, but I feel like I can't not splicey in the scene here, so... Splicey. Never go near the gate or the fence. Yeah, I know. We'll both get in trouble later. Connie? to her new home? I've never seen a vehicle in real life. Someone there? Hey, did you hear voices just now? It's your imagination. If it was a stray cat, I would have caught it for dinner. You eat those disgusting things. Definitely not something we are meant to enjoy. The human flesh from this farm is the highest quality. Only the rich can afford it. Where's Mom? How's the goop now? It's mostly done, sir. Another six-year-old. We've only been shipping out average ones lately. But we'll be harvesting some of the high-grade stock soon enough. Right, Isabella? Yes. These three with full marks are to be prepared for plucking. Yes, sir, I understand. Hold on. I smell something. <laughs> hmm. 
motherfucking shit thoughts on this fucking reveal here <laughs> uh well i didn't know much going into promise neverland initially so i didn't know it was kind of uh, gonna go to that area but um i don't know well with uh well with um everybody being um numbered and like them being kids and being raised up by somebody uh yeah i probably should have predicted that uh uh this was going to happen <laughs> this is going to result in dead children <laughs> <laughs> like connie this, the sweet little girl we've known for this first episode, yeah, she's fucking dead. And she is being sold as meat, beef, for these scary as all hell eldritch abominations that are referred to simply as demons. Oh, man, you know, it's the, it's the one thing I would say I was a little disappointed in for this first season. It's that y you see these demonic creatures here, and I know it's the right move to use them sparingly. Like, we don't see them, like, too much in this first season, but God, for what we see of them, I wanted to see so much more because they're, like, they really sell the scariness of these creatures. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, and also, Mama Isabella, you know, the nice, caring mother we've known for so long? Yeah, she's in on it, too. All this orphanage is just a farm for producing human meat to these monster demons. So, Isabella, are you saying you killed Connie... Processed her carcass and served her to demons? Dang, Mom said she really wanted to make something of her one day. <laughs> <laughs> also, the reveal of the demons is really good because, like, when they first show up, you hear them off screen, you know, their guards going like, hey, what's going on here? And then you think, oh, they're just probably, like, regular, normal guards. But then, like, you hear one of them talk about saying, like, uh, wonder if it's a cat. Too bad. I really wanted to eat it. And yeah, then you just see the muscles and the claws. These fucking disgusting creatures with their long limbs and fingers and claws. Horizontal eyes and masks that cover their faces. Goddamn, man. That reveal, I remember when I first saw that, I was just all like, Holy shit, oh my god, holy shit, what the fuck, holy shit. You weren't the only one that had that same reaction, because our main characters are also having that bore through their heads yeah they're like hiding under a truck right here and like the animation is fantastic like the animators really good over the shock and horror on emma and norman's faces as they watch this whole thing go down you can just feel it by looking at them and to be honest i was making the same exact face as they were just like wide-eyed just just gasping for air covering their mouths and everything like holy shit same sells the fear quite well so now the stage is set as grace fieldhouse is a farm all these kids are being groomed to be sold and fed to demons. This has already happened to their other siblings before this. 
then now it's happened to Connie. Emma and Norman now vow to get their family out of this house before the next kid gets shipped. But it's going to be tough as no chicken escapes from Tweety's farm. I mean, no kid escapes from Grace's field house. <laughs> yeah, this is pretty much the film Chicken Run. Basically, which is also <laughs> the film The Great Escape. Fuck that, it's Chicken Run. (laughs) (laughs) No love for Great Escape? (laughs) Oh no, I do. It's just like, we all know what the far superior movie was. (laughs) The far superior claymation movie. Yes, we we have to give credit to who actually brought the the true art to this world. Featuring the voice of Mel Gibson before he went super nuts. Yes, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) And also I love how this episode ends with like, as you know, Emma and Norman are like making their vow and the music is like really ramping up and then it just completely smash cuts like to just mom holding little bunny doll as she's just like, oh, someone knows. And, but she doesn't know specifically, but she knows. God, this is such a well, this is one of the most well-paced uh, first episodes I've seen of an anime ever. Is this one of the best first episodes to an anime ever? Mm, I, would, I would say it's among the one. I would say it among it's among those because the much like the entire series, uh, it's paced really, really well. It's very brisk in its pace, which kind of mirrors a lot of what you see in episodes later. Everything's so nicely paced. Like, it doesn't waste any of its time. It's paced, gets over our characters really well, it doesn't feel forced, it's all very, very nice, and then it just hits you in that big moment. It answers, who are the characters? What is this world? What is the threat they're facing? And what are they going to do to overcome that threat? Everything you need to know about what the series is going to be about, all in the first episode. And it hits you with that big wham moment where it's just like, well, you're going to keep watching, you know? Yeah, and that's what's going to keep you around. We hooked you. We have you now. That was the big hook in. Like, I remember when this first aired, people were saying, like, nobody look up spoilers, just watch the first episode. Yeah, guess what, folks? You're going to be in for a Nantucket sleigh ride right here. <laughs> so on to episode 2, 13, 10, 45. So yeah, after that, it's going to be difficult as hell to try to act as if nothing happened, but that's what Emma and Norman have to do if they want to make a plan to get everyone out of this farm without raising suspicion. They know that Mom knows because they forgot Little Bunny, so they can't let her know that they know that she knows, you know? What if they just start seeing the signs everywhere? Like, you know, we really should have seen this coming. You know, like mom was really like ba- mom was really telling us to like bathe and like coat ourselves in like seven or teen herbs and spices <laughs> the other day. I always wondered why she did that. Also, they called us free range when we go out for recess. Kind of a weird thing. <laughs> they are actually free range kids. <laughs> They get around, they get to play around in, like, the forests and stuff. They, you know, they get nice and, uh, they get nice and tender due to all that, uh, due to all that running. Yeah, you know, no shaking the bars, it'll just make you tired and stringy. <laughs> also, when they're cleaning out all the pots and pans, they have to get inside the pot, and it gets a little difficult when they have to put meat tenderizer over them. <laughs> Though, all this is not going to stop Emma from having horrid nightmares about Connie being served to a demon in a style that'll make Hannibal Lecter happy. Because that dream was kind of fucked up. <laughs> so while they begin the planning stages of their escape, Norman is able to deduce when shipments occur and what criteria is for who gets shipped out. Shipments tend to occur every two months. Also, the demons seem to be after one thing in particular. They want those kids' juicy chess club brains of theirs. Because, mm. you know, best meats in the head. 
Yes, because they want to get to those delicious brains. Brains, delicious mm. brains. Uh, I don't know. Personally, I just love the the. It's it's. I don't know. That seems like such a generic sci-fi thing to say that they want to eat your brains. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like every time that little trope pops up, I'm like, you know, it's somebody here appreciates the classics. <laughs> yeah, a monster that just wants to eat your brains. <laughs> Remember, kids, send up, send your brains to P.O. Box one two three brains. <laughs> yes, they want brain meat, but the only brain meat of kids who are ages six to twelve, because that's when the brain begins to be more developed. I bet it's like veal to demons. I don't know. It's just, it's just kind of odd that it's like I don't know. I guess I'm also saying like culinarily, it's like odd to want the brains because that's one of like the. It's not a very desirable part of the body to eat. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if, like, there's, like, mad, like, do you, do you ever wonder if, like, the, the demon's fear of uh, contracting mad kid disease? Because <laughs> <laughs> that is partly where it comes from, is, like, uh, certain chemicals within the brain that uh, infect, like, other cows and stuff. Oh. Actually, no, it is actually true that um, in species uh, of, like, certain brains and stuff, um, the reason why um, uh, brains are not, like, super common culinarily uh, is partly... Because in mad cow disease, um, that develops from cows uh, eating the brains of other cows. In fact, in nature, there are actually chemicals in the brain that prevent you from uh, eating your own species. And it's uh, because I think it's actually been recorded that in some uh, cannibalistic tribes, like some of the more like primitive tribes that have existed throughout the world, they've actually contracted diseases from eating the brains of their own species. So how how weird is it that in nature? There is an actual, there is there are actual measures to prevent you from eating your own species, <laughs> all hidden in the brain. Yeah. <laughs> so species, so like, so like, uh, species and cultures long ago were all like, guys, we can't eat each other. Like, we eat these brains, and like, it turns us crazy. Like, I guess we'll have to hunt each other. You know, <laughs> that was nature doing us uh, solid there. Oh, there you go. <laughs> I'm just wondering, like, why don't demons just want, like, the kids to, like, grow up? Because you, you think, like, an adult would be, like, more better for them. You know, that's actually a pretty good question. You why know, not? Like, you know, do you think demons would definitely want, you know, juicy shack meat? Mmm, I don't know. You'd think they would want, like, f I don't know, you would think they would want to fatten up humans a little <laughs> bit. Because, like, isn't there the benefit of, like, more meat or something? Or, like, fattier meat? Or, uh, you know, different cuts? Yeah. I know we should probably ask. We should probably bring like a cannibal on the content on the con on the podcast to figure these questions out. Yeah. <laughs> or hell, read any story of the Donner Party and then just be horrified by like what human flesh tastes like. Who, <laughs> jeez, that's a horrifying story right there. Oh boy. Also, because they're after the brains, that's what the uh, the tests are for. Because after you turn six and continue to do well on tests, then you can stay a little longer. But you start to fall behind, then you're shipped. Which is what happened to Connie, and when he turned 12, then you're shipped no matter what, because that's when the brain is at its best. Now that we have our time limit, we need our escape route. Though they can't go through the front gate because there's ghouls out there, so they need to go through the forest. So Emma and Norman go beyond the fence to see what's beyond it, and they find a very large wall. Bet you there's titans beyond that. <laughs> so this wall is their best bet for escape, as there's no guards, and climbing up it should be no trouble as long as they have a rope. No problem, right? Well, later that day after playtime, one of the kids, Nyla, goes missing. Mom is told about this, but she doesn't worry as she has it under control. After a little while, Mom comes back with Nyla as she found her very easily, almost as if she knew exactly where she was. In fact, she's really good at knowing where all the kids are at all times. As you see, Mom's watch, her big pocket watch, it's not actually a real watch. It's a tracking device, and like most pets nowadays, all the kids are chipped. 
I know it's it's that's when you begin to realize the technology level of this universe is uh, much higher than it really uh, implies itself to be. Yeah, and also during the scene, Mom made sure to bring attention to this as she pulled out her big watch tracker, and then she found Nyla no trouble. She was basically saying like, "Yeah, I don't know who knows the secret, but if you try to escape, I'll find you. Just just try. I dare you. Look at me. I can find you." <laughs> Mama Isabella is in control, and that what makes her a great baddie. Like, she's almost, like, all for one in a sense. Just, like, completely calm and has everything all together. Well, it almost, she almost, she actually reminds me more of uh, that uh, crazy lady from uh, the Stephen King story, Misery. Oh, yeah, that too. Where she's, like, in control of everything, but, like, she puts on this, like, nice and, uh, this uh, nice and approachable face of that's uh, loving and caring, but will secretly uh, impede your progress if you ever even try to escape her purview. I bet you mentioned it. She really does a lot of what uh, what uh, Misery does in that in that movie. Mm, yeah, a yeah. lot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's talk about a real tense scene here that happens like later that night. Emma's looking at a bunch of drawings on the wall, where and she spots where Connie's old drawings to be. And then right at that moment, Mom comes by looking over her shoulder, you know, asking like, Ah, Emma, what's wrong? You seem a little pale. You seem wistful, wistful for Connie. And she just stares daggers into Emma, just acting like, you know, why aren't you your cheery self, you know? You're a little weird. And then Emma plays dumb perfectly as she talks about how much she loves the house and Mom too. She even hugs Mom, which is like, you know that's killing her inside, because this woman is basically a murderer. Mm-hmm. And then she brings up Connie and how she says she always wanted to be a mom just like Isabella. And all while this is going on, Norman is watching the whole thing, and you can tell that it's just tearing him up inside. You can just feel his hatred for mom as she says, you know, Ah, Connie's gonna be a, w- a wonderful, lovely young lady and a mother. She'll be wonderful out there. No, but this episode... It's actually, you know, the monsters were good in the first episode to hook me in, but you know what really cemented me in? It's that in the second episode, the characters were doing exactly what you would think to do in a situation like this if you were to survive. Yeah. That's when I realized, okay, these kids are smart. They're fucking smart, man. This is, these are some of the smartest kids I've ever seen written in uh, a written work out there. Like, they, they really know how to use their brains and apply the, and apply themselves to a situation. Yeah, like, that's one of the major points of the series. Like, these kids, like, they may be young, but damn, they're smart. Mm-hmm. Also, something I really noticed on a rewatch, but uh, not this rewatch, one when it aired on uh, Toonami, is uh, when Isabella checks in on Emma, she puts her hand on the side of her face, and the animation brings attention to her hand touching Emma's left ear. Like, she specifically holds her hand out, grabs onto her left ear. Ah. Remember that. Remember. The following day, Emma and Norman stash tablecloths that they can use for a rope in a tree near the wall. So they have a way to get up the wall, but there's still the problem of the tracking devices and getting everyone, including the literal kids, up the wall. You're so smart, they figure out a rope to get up the wall. (laughs) Oh, that's good. Oh, yeah. You know, this is quite quite the conundrum we're in. Uh, I don't know. What do you think, Ray? Oh shit, Ray knows something's up. <laughs> <laughs> but they tell him everything, and he's surprisingly calm about it and catches on fast. Well, that makes the whole thing a whole lot easier. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Ray does address the problem of bringing everyone, because, you know, 38 kids escaping to the outside world is going to be difficult with stuff like demons and trackers out there. But Emma's not having any of it, and she intends to keep her promise to escape with everyone. And when she says everyone, she means everyone. And really good acting by the scene here from everyone here. 
Ray's still not buying that they can save everyone, but Emma's gonna do what she can and Norman's not gonna stop her. Despite the disagreement, Ray looks to be all in and nothing can get in the way now, right? <laughs> well... What kind of series do you think you're watching? Yeah. All the kids are called back to the house as we have some new guests. First is a little baby named Carol, and the other is another caretaker. Introducing Sister Crona, played here by Rebecca Thomas. Mmm, yes, Rebecca Thomas. Oh, yeah. This is where I, and man, what a performance she puts on as the character of Sister Crona here. God, she is phenomenal as Sister Crona, like... I feel that she's even better than Krona's uh, Japanese seiyu. Well, what kind of a character is Krona, though? Well, you come to learn that she's very much different from uh, Isabella in the next episode, episode 3, 181045. She kind of seems to have like a very, you know, calm, soothing personality, but after a while, you could just know that it's all just a facade, even more so than Mom's facade. I know, she can, like, when she, and that, when, when that facade drops, you begin to feel like genuine fear yeah like she i feel like she brings even more outward fear than mom does mom is more inner fear this is more outward fear mm, definitely and yeah can of coke to rebecca thomas because she's freaking amazing here rebecca thomas sells the character of crona real well because crona uh she's she's got a very sweet outward appearance but she's very manic underneath Really yeah. kind of has, like, delusions of grandeur a little bit. Mm -hmm. Really wants to have things uh, her way. Wants to win. And man, Rebecca sells that. And also, can I just highlight that um, it is so nice to finally see a new another voice actress within the anime industry that is not that is not white yeah <laughs> i mean that's something i just wanted to highlight between like her and uh, cedric williams as well is that i'm so glad we are seeing um greater diversity in the uh, voice acting industry a little bit because you know i've always loved the uh, voice actors we have out there i love all of them but among the japanese among the english voice acting scene for anime i've always thought to myself this is looking pretty white here, <laughs> like, maybe get some diversity in here, and I'm so glad that uh, in recent years we've been seeing some fantastic work from uh, a new bevy of voice actors out there. Uh, I'd love to see some better diversity out here, and um, we have it definitely in uh, Cedric and Rebecca here. Definitely. Well, I, I first took note of Cedric when he uh, voiced Chitu from Hunter x Hunter. Oh yeah, he does. Yeah, he voiced Chitu in there. And he put on such a great performance as that shit-eating character. <laughs> <laughs> well, I also remember that very well because I remember um, from Hunter x Hunter, uh, he, was, he, had, he was in... He, he did that character in one of my favorite fights in all of Hunter, which was between Chitu and Moral in which um, it demonstrated uh, the stupidity of creating uh, terrible abilities in that world yeah. <laughs> with Chitu. And Cedric did just such a good job as that character. Yeah, because I heard him and I was all like, oh, that's a, that's a new voice I've never really heard before. And then I look up and I realize, like, oh, he's new blood. And wow, he did a really good job there. I can't wait to hear more from him. And sure enough, I heard him in The Promised Neverland and I'm like, oh my god, excellent. Yeah, he's really good in, that ser in this series too. But Rebecca, do not rule out Rebecca, though. Oh my god, she is like probably the MVP of the stuff. And I want to hear so much more from Rebecca, because as far as I've been able to find online, the only other anime role she has done was as a reporter in Carol and Tuesday. Oh yeah, that's right. Just, a, just some reporter character that comes up, I guess. Yeah. But no, she 
this I really hope this is some kind of breakout role for her because she demonstrates her skills so damn well here. Yeah, like she needs to be in like a reoccurring role in an anime series. Mm, absolutely. Very deserving. So uh yeah, kudos to those two. I really wanted to highlight those two actors. Yeah, absolutely. So later on, Mom tells Sister all about how some of the kids know what's really going on, but she also lets her know that she has everything under control. She runs the best farm that produces the best meat, so taking care of some nosy kids should be no trouble for her. Sister Krona, though, decides to score some brownie points with the higher-ups and plans to do a little investigating of her own. Meanwhile, Emma and Gilda are laying down the babies for bed, and Emma looks over Carol to see if she can find a place where a tracker would be. Then she discovers a little bump on her left ear. Gilda points out that they all had something like that when they were younger, and Emma puts two and two together. So, remember when Mom was talking to Emma in the previous episode, she put her hand on Emma's left ear. She was checking on the tracker to make sure they didn't fuck with it. So, it, they already hinted at the tracker, and it's like something on a first watch, you didn't realize it. But on a second view, second or third viewing, you're like, oh, that's really good. Yeah, all cattle need some kind of tagging, so... They, they are not uh, ruled out of that. No, they're not. Though Gilda is not in the know, and she's starting to, to suspect that something is up. The next day, Emma tells Norman and Ray about the trackers, and, and they begin to think of a plan to disable them. Ray's got that covered, but there's still the problem of escaping with everyone. To put it bluntly, they're mostly going to be a hindrance, especially when it comes to running away and hiding. Emma actually has an idea for that. She plans on using Tag to help train the other kids, which is pretty smart, you know, like say hey we're playing a game here but in reality we're gonna use what you learn in this game to use for escaping in real oh, life oh it's so smart and their kids are like oh we're just playing and stuff but like they're you know, drilling it in their brains on how to escape like kids at that age they can definitely retain a lot of good information through like actually doing something oh, that's how they definitely. learn really well right right so this is such a clever idea it's so good i'm just like mm, brilliant Sister Crona takes notice of the kids' game and decides to play along with them. This time, she's it, and there's a 20-minute time limit. The game begins, and Sister Crona puts these kids to the test as she wants to see how good Isabella's kids are, and also she wants to see if she can figure out any info on who knows the truth. What do you think of uh, Sister Crona's tag skills here? Uh, well, the kids are going to be dealing with a pro, apparently. Because <laughs> she's really good at child catching. She doesn't hold back. <laughs> She catches them really easily, and, which was to be expected as... But she also gets some of the older kids, too, like Don, Gilda, and Anna, played here by Brianna Knickerbocker. But, like, she's really good, and then we get to see a lot of her true personality in the scene, where she's kind of going a little nuts, and she's making all these faces, and it really gets over how... Yeah, she's dangerous. Yeah, she... she this is the one thing that sells Krona really well, is that, she know, is that she knows how to put on a really good psychotic face. Yeah. <laughs> it's That's half the fun of her, is just seeing all the facial expressions she makes. Yeah, like, the scene where, like, uh, Emma's running with a couple of the other kids, and then uh, they hide out, and then Krona is trying to draw her out by saying, oh, we know your weaknesses, as well as Norman and Ray's, too, and then, like, that what causes Emma to, like, hesitate a bit, and then she finds her and makes... The scariest fucking face while looking down on her. She revels in in the hunt here. She revels in the games that she can play. And yeah, credit to the animators once again. Like, they really go all out on making Krona look scary as hell. It's down to Norman and Ray, but lucky for them, they're able to avoid Krona up until time expires. And Krona is even caught off guard by this. She knew the kids at Gray's Fieldhouse were good, but she didn't realize that they were actually elite. The, the elite. <laughs> Not gonna be easy as you think, eh, Krona? Some time passes since then, and Krona hasn't done anything like that again. 
The three kids wonder why she's backed off, and it would appear Mom told her to do so since she has other methods of keeping track of the kids. To put it simply, we got a traitor in the ranks. Mmm, somebody's a snitch. Oh, I bet it's Nat. No way you can trust anyone with that big of a nose. Fucking Nat. He looks like a snitch right there. He really does. Or maybe, maybe it's Nyla. You know, maybe she pretended to get lost in the woods so Mom would kind of pick pick her up and find her. It was all a con. (laughs) Ooh, we gotta sniff out a snitch right here. Gotta weed him out. (laughs) Alright, which one of you is the 6'9 of all these kids here? (laughs) You remember, snitches get stitches. No, don't you know? Snitches get record $10 million record deals. Oh, man. God help him going forward. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So on to episode 4, 29-10-45. Mom commends Krona for a job well done thus far. She's good with the kids. She's not raising any red flags. Well, not many red flags, to be precise. And she's keeping everything under control. We even find out that Krona's been uh, craving a mom position for quite some time now, and Isabella knows that, and she tells her, hey, if you keep this up, maybe I can pull some strings and get you that job one day. Mm, and that's another good conflict that's also at play for a good chunk of these episodes as well, seeing Krona uh, be at odds with uh, Isabella as well. Because Isabella is uh, said to be like one of the best moms that are out there she's the best mom and her farm produces the best kid meat yes she's 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 a great cattle farmer in that regard (laughs) (laughs) but crona she wants a good she wants a comfy position like that as well so uh you see a nice conflict here where uh, crona uh wants to get the better of isabella as well because like Isabella kind of, because Isabella makes it pretty clear to her that like you're just here because I needed an extra hand. Like I don't expect anything better from you. But Krona wants to really prove herself even better here to be rewarded here. So she's she's playing a game here against Isabella as well. And man, if there's something that I always love, it's seeing villains be at odds with other villains. Oh yeah, you know Krona, she wants to be the one to help put these kids through Bovine University. <laughs> However, Mom says that despite all this, Krona needs to remember who's in charge here. And the pure intimidation from Mama Isabella. Like, she can make grown adults quiver in fear because she's always in control. And I really love how they frame one of the scenes where, like, you know, uh, Sister Krona, she has a... She's a little bit taller than Isabella, but even though she's taller than her, she's really... Isabella's still looking down on her. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Or she or Isabella will even bring uh, Krona's face down to bring her, her level down as well. to her level and just say, "I'm in charge here." A good visual way of showing that she's con- that uh, Isabella uh, is in control here. Yeah, it's so good and just God, Isabella's such a good villain. Mm, definitely. Though Krona is going to remain obedient for now, she still holds all this disdain for her mom and wants to take her down and take over this house. The next day, after some more tag training, this time in teams that help simulate the real escape. It's time to start thinking about said real escape. Ray says he can get what he needs to take care of the tracker in 10 days, and Norman settles that with that being out of the way, 10 days from now, November 8th, they're going to escape. Ah, man, do you think we can escape a couple of days later? Because, you know, AEW Full Gear is on the 9th, and I don't really want to miss that. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to miss that or anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, it's been on the rise lately, so yeah, yeah it's worth checking out. There you go. I'm with All Elite. Norman wants to outwit Mom since she's conditioned them to be ready for shipments every two months, so it would be wise to get out early. Which is a smart move when you really think about it, you know, kind of catch her off guard when she thinks, oh, they're not going to leave that early, but oh, they leave that early. But then again, I bet Mom already knew that. 
Mm. It's all a game of mental chess here. Right, right. <laughs> it's like she she knew the thing that they knew that they thought she knew. You know. <laughs> but we also know things that you know that we know that you know, and you also know. I think I've gotten cross-eyed. <laughs> <laughs> also, they need to escape before winter comes to avoid any other difficulties that the change of seasons may bring. Which is also smart because no one wants to deal with kids in sub-zero temperatures. Mm, yeah. Later that night, the trio agree that they need some more help, so they decide to let some of the other kids in on what's going on. That being Don and Gilda. What, no love for Anna? You know, she's one of the older kids too, you know? <laughs> I mean, sure, she hasn't done much of anything yet, but that doesn't stop her from being one of the most popular characters amongst the fans, though. Really? Yeah. Interesting, I didn't know that. Yeah, like, while I was catching up with the manga, they have, like, the insert, like, the little stuff before the chapters where it's, like, character rankings, and she's consistently in the top ten. <laughs> It's about as like how I'm like how I've been like confused before that uh, Boa Hancock is uh, in One Piece has consistently stayed on uh, the past two uh, popularity charts despite not being in a major arc <laughs> for like the past like few years now. Yeah, <laughs> but hey, Hancock is my girl, so I don't complain. Yeah, it's like hey, I'm all for it. You know. By the way, can we just briefly? I want to briefly mark out about. Uh... For a second about this uh, POV shot as they're uh, walking to the library here. Again, simple yet effective directing. Like, this is all the animation team here, and it's so good. Mm, definitely. And it's also one of those things where, like, you know it's CGI because animating something like that is going to be super hard. In no way they're going to do that hand-drawn. But it's covered so well because it's all dimly lit, so you can't even tell that it's CGI. And it still looks really, really impressive. Yeah, definitely. It's 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 great direction on the part of the animators. Like, this needs to be... Promise Neverland really needs to be in the conversation for best directed anime in recent years. Yeah, at least at least as far as anime... Well, at least as far as, like, using what the tools you have, the cinematic yeah. techniques you have for uh, a work that uh, otherwise... If it had not been as uh, well-directed as it was right here, I could reasonably some people say that this series would be uh, come across as, like, dry or something. Yeah, I can kind of see that, but, like, it definitely say, helps it with, like, the directing. Yes, it helps smooth things along. So Emma and the gang let Don and Gilda in on the details about the house and mom. Kinda. Emma bends the truth a little and says that that the house is part of a human trafficking ring instead of, you know, demons wanting to eat their brains. The reason being for this is that in case one of them is the traitor, then they know it's bullshit, and the trio will use that against them to figure out who the traitor is. And if neither of them is the traitor, then it's much easier story for them to buy than, you know, telling them that it's demons. Yeah, if they, if they had said demons right off the bat, I would reasonably ha hear those characters scoff. Because yeah. <laughs> you don't want to lead with that. Though it probably wasn't cool to give them a false sense of hope, saying like, uh, you know, Connie, she's okay, we can go save her. <laughs> you don't want to say that she's in a better place right now, even though that better place <laughs> might be the stomach of a demon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or a shit pile out there somewhere. Some kind of compost heap. Yeah. <laughs> Don is skeptical at first, but he starts to believe Emma, especially after Gilda starts to put it all together after noticing how weird they've been acting after Connie left. Also, Emma, brah, making Gilda cry, brah. <laughs> And so, Don and Gilda are all in, but now it's time to figure out who the traitor is. Normie here has a plan, and he's going to tell them where the escape rope is hidden, and he's going to tell them two different locations. He'll tell Don it's behind his bed, and Gilda will know that it's in the second floor bathroom ceiling. Whichever one is missing will clue us in on the traitor. Meanwhile, Emma and Gilda have a nice little moment as they're happy to work together and that they'll be together forever. Always, always. No, yes. So happy to have you on the team, Gilda. You won't betray us, right? Right? Answer me, damn it! Because <laughs> anybody's a suspect at this point. 
Well, later that night, while everyone, including Emma, is asleep, Gilda gets up, sneaks out of the room, but not before giving a quick glance over to Emma. Hey, no, what are you doing, girl? What, you stop, you march yourself back to bed, young lady. Hey, Gilda, stop it. Don't ignore me just because you're a cartoon character and can't hear me. Gilda, Gilda! <laughs> See, the rope is in Norman's bed, is it? <laughs> I've been waiting for you, Gilda. We. You mean about the issue, right? <sighs> well, there isn't an issue. I appreciate you checking in on me so much, but there's nothing to worry about. Are you sure? I can't help but be concerned. I feel better, I promise. So please, stop worrying about me. Good night. <laughs> ah, I see now. Anna told you everything. <laughs> Am I right, Gilda? She told you all about it, didn't she? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> ah! Too bad. I was really hoping that we could eventually become good friends. <laughs> so tell me, how many of the others know? There's Norman and Ray. Anyone else? <laughs> I will let you off the hook if you cooperate, so let's work together. that I misunderstood. Sorry. If you think Emma is lying to you, feel free to come back and talk to me. 
Sweet dreams, Gilda. What do you think of uh, this scene right here? Uh, gl glad to s very glad to see uh, where people's uh, certain alliances uh, line up. Yeah, because we get bait and switch, baby, right here. Mm -hmm. You think you, we see that mom gets a note saying where the rope is, but it's not from Gilda. Gilda didn't write the note, and she isn't going to see mom as you see her walk up to the door, and it's very, very well cut. Because you see a note go under her door to mom's office. And you see the door open, you see Gilda there, you see a shoulder of someone in, like, the uh, the uniform of, like, the mom and the sister, so you think, like, oh, it's Isabella. But it turns out it's actually Krona. Krona asked Gilda to come see her at night, so you're like, oh, thank God it's not her. Oh, bait and switch, yeah. Yeah, sister wanted some info on Emma from Gilda, but Gilda tells her to piss off and that there's nothing wrong going on. Ooh, Gilda, you are good. You are good in the books. You are good. You are not a filthy traitor. Yes, you, you, you know to keep your mouth shut. Emma eavesdrops on this whole conversation, and when Gilda returns, the two are so happy to see each other, and Emma's relieved that Gilda isn't betraying them. Ha! I knew it wasn't you, Gilda. I have the utmost faith in you. As for the real traitor, though all signs seem to now point that it's Don, as the note Mom got saying where the rope is said it was under Norman's bed. No, not Don. He's a good boy. He's the goodest boy. <laughs> not as good as Phil, but he's still a good boy. Top five boy. <laughs> and between Don and Gilda, only Don knew about that rope being there. Though, no matter who the traitor is... Emma still promises to save them because, traitor or not, they're all still family, and family means no one gets left behind. Ohana, yeah. Yeah, there you go. What a nice sentiment. Wouldn't you agree? Ray, a.k.a. the traitor? Oh, Norman reveals that Ray's the traitor. Which leads us to episode 5, 30, 10, 45. Are you serious? Cut it out. Ray, you've realized, right? I set a trap for three people. I told Dawn it was behind my bed, and Gilda was told it was in the second floor bathroom ceiling. At least, that's what I told you. But I actually told Dawn the dining hall, and I told Gilda the library. <clears throat> the rope behind my bed ended up being gone. So what about the other two spots? Should we go over and check them out? <laughs> oh man, and here I thought I was doing so well. Yeah, you're right. I'm the one who's been spying for Mom. <laughs> so, what gave it away? It was when Sister first came to the house. I was disgusted with myself. 
I suspected you instantly. My own friend. It was really the worst case scenario. I wish that I had been wrong about it. Because you being the traitor would be quite problematic for us. But for the enemy, picking you was the obvious choice. You would be able to provide input to our plans, which would be perfect for keeping control of the situation. You were the best one for the job. Can't get anything past you. How embarrassing. I walked right into your little trap. There's one more thing. You see, I have a feeling this isn't the first time you've done this. If one of us suddenly started giving Mom tips, I doubt she'd be so trusting. Just how long have you been Mom's spy? For a while now. <laughs> I can't remember when I wasn't her spy. Guess you could say that I'm a sheepdog for a shepherd. You knew about all of this and helped Mom out anyway? Yeah. Everything we talked about, all the planning, it was nothing but a series of lies? How much have you been telling Mom? Can the trackers even be broken? What are you gonna do with that info? Gonna ditch me based on my answer? No, I won't. I want you to stay close, like you always have been. Isn't it great, Ray? You get to hide your mistake. You tried framing Dawn so you could keep spying on us, correct? Just tell me what you want. Three things. One, you will continue to stay with us and promise to guarantee our safety. Two, I want you to share all the information you have. Three, flip to our side. <laughs> and become a spy for our team instead. You're gonna use me as your trump card? Hmm. Are you an idiot? If that was your objective, then you should have kept quiet and used me. And when it was time to execute the plan, you could have cast me aside. It would have been easy. You're right about that, but... <laughs> she reminded me we're family, so... <sighs> That's what made me change my mind. I want to believe in you, too. We're friends before enemies, right? After all, aren't you the one who hid little bunny? The night we went to the gate, if you hadn't told us we could make it in time, we wouldn't have gone. You laid out the breadcrumbs for us to find out the truth about this house for ourselves. You set this up for the three of us to escape, didn't you? Why did you become Mom's sheepdog? Why not? If you were completely on Mom's side, then it wouldn't make sense to reveal the truth to us. You've been controlling our actions. About the trackers, the timing of our escape, and how quickly the plan moved forward. That's why you didn't want us leaving ten days from now. But at the same time, you were also keeping Mom under control. You're actually not our enemy, are you? <laughs> you still think that, huh? I volunteered. I guess it's more like I sold myself, really. And all of it was to prepare for the escape we're planning! <laughs> if you're going to learn more about the enemy, it's best to do so from the inside. Which is why I ended up offering a deal to Mom. That's risky. Not really. I'm one of the finest products she's raised here.
She's cared a lot for me. She wouldn't throw me away. That's how I saw it. She's someone who cares more about profit than rules. I made sure to ask for two things. First was not to be shipped out if I cooperated. The second was rewards in exchange for results. What kind of rewards? Various junk. If it isn't in the house, she secures it for me. <gasps> My reason for doing it was to check what I could and couldn't get, but also to research the outside. Turns out, as long as it was safe, she could get me lots of things. But everything she brings back is dated. So then, when you said you had an idea for breaking the trackers... I've seen the real device. <clears throat> I did testing. It took me a few years, but I figured it out. It is possible to break the tracking devices. <sighs> you get it? Norman, I'm the strongest card you'll ever have. No one else compares. And I don't just have info about the tracking devices in Mom. You can't even begin to imagine how much I've learned over the years. From the moment that I discovered the truth, I started preparing. Ray... I had you and Emma go to the gate without having anyone notice. All of this... Just to make sure you both don't die! It's like you said, Norman. I'm not exactly your enemy, but I'm not your ally either. Let's make a deal. If you agree, I'll become your trump card. I'll tell you everything I know and leak false info to Mom, if you do one thing. What's that? Trick Emma. <laughs> we'll pretend we're taking everyone, then ditch them later. But we can take Dawn, and Gilda too. Are you saying we should give up escaping with everyone? Yes. But the training helps them grow more than we expected. You even said that they had potential. You meant it, didn't you? Then all of us can- Regardless, it doesn't change the fact that they're a huge burden. You said you were going to help us, didn't you, Ray? What I'm doing now is helping. You don't like it? Then you two can die here. But I thought you wanted me and Emma to stay alive. Honestly? I'd rather you get shipped than die once we escape. So, do we have a deal? Norman really should have taken like a victory lap around the room just like, Oh, didn't expect that, did ya? <laughs> Thought you had me. <laughs> it's me, Norman? Oh, son of a bitch. What? <laughs> it was me, Norman. It was me. <laughs> All along, Norman. Automatically, Ray becomes my favorite character in the series. You all bought it. You all bought it. Hook, line, and sinker. Even my family. Even my immediate family bought it. Well, as we soon see, it's a lot more complex than that. Yeah, as you know, the little guy has been a spy for Mom since the very beginning, but he's been her spy because he's been planning an escape of his own. <laughs> He wanted to get as much info from Mom as possible, as well as any info from the outside world, so that's why he also asks her to, like, bring him any sort of, like, stuff from the outside world, like any kind of, any trinkets that he wants. Ray even actually set up Emma and Norman to discover the truth about the farm in order to get them to start thinking about escaping. Like, he hid Little Bunny from Connie. He put it out in the open where they can find it so they can go get it to her. Ah, uh, so he is technically on their side, sort of. Though, Ray only plans on escaping with Emma and Norman, and maybe Don and Gilda, but not everyone. 
Uh, come on, can't you at least bring Phil? No, but uh, I like this contrast, though. Ray is a lot more uh, cynical and uh, I would definitely say pragmatic yeah. in how he approaches everything here. He he, he kind of doesn't... Sure, his, his decisions seem logical at first, but they don't like take into effect uh, the larger picture, I would say. Yeah, he's kind of more realistic in a sense, but like only looking at what's in front of him. Right, right. He's kind of like the more he's. I would I would compare him to like uh, the more logical uh, Spock compared yeah. to like Emma, who's more like uh, Captain Kirk. Yeah, I, I can see that actually. You know, like you know, Emma doesn't believe in the no win scenario. She wants to make sure everyone gets out ahead. Yeah, she's very much like your traditional like shonen protagonist. You know, I want to help everyone. Everyone's my friend. I want to help them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh, no, I, I always appreciate that uh, that type of character a lot, though. That that one who's always looking out for everybody, no matter what. Yeah, it gives you a lot of hope, and like in this world, you need all the hope you can get. Yeah. So Ray agrees to work as a double agent for them, so long as Norman doesn't tell Emma that he plans on escaping with just the older kids and not anyone else. Harsh, but it seems like there's a bit more to this than meets the eye. Well, now that Norman knows Ray's the traitor, it's time to let Emma in on this, and they do so the following day in the most nonchalant way possible, <laughs> where Norman brings Emma off to like the side of the woods. He's like, okay, I gotta tell you about who the traitor is, and then Ray's all like, oh yeah, it's me. <laughs> well, it's, it's like, he's, they're gonna find out, she's gonna find out anyway, so it's like, Ray's just like, yeah, no, let's just cut, to the, cut the BS here. And I love Emma's reaction, where she's trying to like, put this all together, just like, wait, what? Uh, what? It's a lot to take at once. Yeah. <laughs> and I, lo- I love this little moment, and it's definitely like a nice little comedy moment to kind of give us a bit of levity here. Mm-hmm. Well, now that we're all on the same page, it's, it's back to planning as November 8th is coming up fast. Emma and Gilda let the gang know about some info about Mom they dug up. Turns out Mom always seems to disappear every night before 8pm, and it's believed that she sneaks off to a secret room hidden somewhere in her office. Hey, with a house this big and looking like something you'd see in, like, say, Scooby-Doo or even the Haunted Mansion, there's bound to be a secret room somewhere. And she goes to this secret room to do secret evil things, like contact the main headquarters where her superiors are and where babies come from. And write write a paperwork to evil. And also, huh, this is where babies come from, and here I thought it was the stork, but nah, babies come from evil secret baby factories run by demons. (laughs) Don wants to find this secret room in order to try and contact the outside world, and maybe find some more information, but Ray is like, Don, no, but Don's all like, Don, yes. <laughs> Who's he gonna call? Ghostbusters. <laughs> <laughs> you set me up. We're dealing with demons here, though, not ghosts. So. <laughs> They'd only be able to come around, wave around their wands, and be like, well, sorry, kids, we thought we had we thought we thought had things here. And then Bill Murray says a sar- sarcastic joke. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, Zool's very demonish. You can kind of deal with them. Uh, no, they would just get, like, eaten, you know? I mean, Dan Aykroyd, like, he'd be a snack to the demons. Oh, right yeah. <laughs> well, of course, he's the fattest one. Yeah, <laughs> and he's And he's, getting, he's, and he's like, nice and uh, boozed up from all that crystal head vodka. <laughs> 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 he'd be like a beer can chicken to those demons. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so Don goes to Mom's office with Gilda in tow to find the room, and after fumbling around in the bookcase, Jinkies, Gilda finds the secret door to the secret room. But it's locked, and they need a secret key to the secret door. Though that's the least of their troubles, as right at that moment, someone comes into the office. Well, it was nice knowing you two. Mm. Which brings us to episode 6, 31-10-45. Hey, happy Halloween! Summer 31st. <laughs> nice! And as one Mr. Buster Rhymes once said in Halloween Resurrection, Trick or treat, motherfucker! 
as Don and Gilda I think are he appre- I think he appreciates you for referencing that, because God knows he probably won't find that reference anywhere else. No. <laughs> so yeah, Don and Gilda are boned. Or are they? Turns out the person coming into this office was just goodest best boy Phil, playing hide-and-seek. Ah, oh, Phil, you little shit. You scared the bejesus out of us, but... I can't say mad at you. You're just so friggin' cute. I know, right? That, that, that face alone could turn tides. Him and his little cat smile. <laughs> Back with the OT trio, Emma has something to show Ray and Norman, or rather, someone to show them. She takes them to the library, and we are introduced to one of the biggest plot points in all of Promised Neverland. Emma pulls out a book with a book plate of an owl inside the cover, along with the name William Minerva. This book, along with many other books here, have the same book plate, signifying that they all were once owned by this William Minerva, and Emma discovers that each book plate is slightly different, as each circle is also very different. It's kind of separated in certain ways, almost like a pattern, as these circles are actually Morse code. Oh. What do you think of this here? Uh, this, uh, it's one of those, it's one of those things that I knew immediately it was going to be something that would come figure in way later in the series. (laughs) And it just made me kind of, like, hungrier to know what this could even mean. <laughs> yeah, like, this this Minerva guy, he looks to be an ally as each code warns about the truth of the house and the demons, you know. Because the, the, the messages say, like, a uh, monster and, um, like, uh, eat, eating or something or farming, you know. Yeah, though, with these, though we have, like, all these hints, we don't even know if he's actually dead or alive or not. Because these books came out in 2015, as Ray discovered. Right, right. So they might not, this person might not even be around anymore. And also, two of the books have very peculiar book plates. One doesn't have any Morse code as it's just a full circle, and the other has a code that simply says, Promise. Uh, I can't <laughs> <say the> spoilers! <laughs> oh, oh, oh boy! Got a message in there that just reads, uh, Drink More Ovaltine. <laughs> Son of a bitch. <laughs> Uh, you, you know what I love about these works? They never, like, they, they always, like, find, like, hidden messages, but, like, in many of these works, where some some characters have to find a hidden message from somebody, it's never just, like, a shit post or something. <laughs> because those have existed throughout history. Like, yeah. every now and then a person, like, may have just, like, thrown down, like, a, some graffiti or something, or, like, written a message, and it's just, like, some boring shit that doesn't mean anything. Actually, I read somewhere that, um, old monks that would transcribe like the bible yeah. in some margins would actually write little messages to themselves i think like one monk uh w- at one point this is actually real wrote in like the margins of when he was translating transcribing the bible once as to just say like uh going five days now like strong writing this book right now send help <laughs> <laughs> really got to use the privy right now <laughs> yeah because like they, they would just be like bored around that time or something so i mean you got to entertain yourself somehow right now if i were to write a work that's what i would write in somebody's trying to transcribe a message think it's going to mean something in the end but then they find near the end it's just garbage nonsense yeah <laughs> that's what i would love to do i um, mean i would love to do something like that where it's very so intricate kid and it has to like it needs to span like a bunch of other different types of codes with different times of ways to break the codes and in the end it just says hi yeah <laughs> kilroy was here you know? <laughs> <laughs> like, it doesn't mean anything it's just like dumb graffiti it just says el parto yeah <laughs> by the way how did emma find these book plates she doesn't read well it's all thanks to my boy phil he told emma about it after finding one of the plates in a children's book he was reading ah that's a good boy phil what was the children's book? 131 Ways to Cook a Child? Because <laughs> that would have been an important book to find somewhere in there. <laughs> How to Cook 40 Humans. By Jonathan Swift. <laughs> <laughs>
Really? No love for, like, my modest proposal reference? Yeah, that's good. <laughs> you even know what that is? Maybe. It's it's a classic satirical satire about that Jonathan Swift wrote about, like, the plight of the Irish people that were starving and literally suggested eating children. <laughs> you motherfucker! That, uh, my, my reference just fell on a deaf ear. I, I guess I needed a knowledge of him to run an anime podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right, lit nerds, I just threw you one out there. Okay. Write us in if you got that. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, Don and Gilda are snooping as usual, I see, and sneak their way into Mom's secret room of doom. Don snagged a key from Mom and had to take a look. They find all of Mom's radio gear that she uses to contact headquarters, and they also find a bunch of old toys from all the kids that were sent away. So it seems like Mom's kind of keeping mementos of each kid, perhaps. Probably looking and going like, Ah, this kid, he... He made a really good dinner for uh, one of the demons. Uh, what a way to remember him. Oh, this kid over here got fricasseed. Oh, <laughs> the memories. Oh, and this kid was turned into a smoothie. Aw. <laughs> they feel like there's more to this and that maybe the trio know more that, they, that they're letting on. But before they can think about that, Mom looks to be near. She's in her office and they have to sneak out through her room undetected. And it's a short moment, but it's so tense. Made even tenser by, at one point, all you hear is the sound of the ticking clock. Just, it's just like, oh man, what's gonna happen next? Mm. Mom hears a noise and she's just waiting by the bookcase. Just like, no, no, I'm not, I'm not moving here. I'm gonna see if there's another noise. See if anyone's in my secret room. Oh god. And Don and Gilda notice as, like, right as that happens, you can see then that they're just right by the door, hand on the knob, just, like, waiting for the right moment to just leave. But they know that if they make one noise, Mom's gonna come after them. Luckily, that uh, help comes in the form of Eugene, who comes running into Mom's office to give her a key, her secret room key that he found outside on the floor. Mmm, nice move. So Don and Gilda evade Mom and approach the trio, and later that night, everyone's got some splaining to do. The truth comes out, and what do you think of the scene here where all of it's revealed? You know, no bullshit. Here's what happens. It's demons. I always appreciate a good character throwing a punch at somebody for, like, just doing some uh, stupid shit, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and Don, Don needed this, you know? He needed this. Yeah. I'll... As he just, like, sucks both Ray and Norman and really wants to give it to Emma, too, as they all just kept the secret from him. Yeah, and he's not mad at them lying to him. He's more mad that they. he feels like they don't trust him. He's like, come on, we're family here, too, right? Can't you trust us? We're... Right, it's the trust angle here. Yeah, and everyone apologizes, and the steam is still sticking together. So, hey, doesn't it feel better to tell the truth? Stronger as a result. Yes. The following day, the gang is looking to inspect the outside and make sure Mom doesn't know about this. So they have Ray keep her busy by telling her some false info about how Norman plans to kill her. Mom buys this and plans to deal with it later, but before she leaves Ray, she informs him of the next shipment. It'll be in January, the day of Ray's 12th birthday. He's next. That's mom taken care of for now, but what about Sister Crona? What do you think, Sister Crona? Oh, shit, she knows. (laughs) But rather than rat them out, she offers to join forces. But on that note, I think now's a perfect time to take a break, as we're at the halfway point of the show. So we're going to take five, and we'll be right back with the rest of The Promised Neverland. Still more suspense and thriller to come.
morning to you, my darling children. Let us appreciate that all 38 of you are able to live happy lives under this roof. You know, it's weird. None of us have ever gotten any letters. Letters? Yeah, nothing from any of our siblings who've been adopted over the years. Um, Mom? What song is that? Never go near the gator fence. Yeah, Mom always tells us that. Because going near there can be very dangerous. There's someone there! <laughs> These three are to be prepared for plucking. The future isn't promised. The Promise Neverland premieres next Saturday at midnight. Someday, we'll have to leave here, won't we? Only Toonami on Adult Swim. Let's hear more about Sister Crona's proposition with episode 7, 1, 11, 45. Sister Crona's and the kids' goals aren't so different as both involve screwing over Isabella. The kids want to escape from her and Crona wants her job as mom of Gracefield. Also to prove that she's really on their side, she reveals that she's just like them. She too was an orphan who grew up in one of these farms as she has a number tattoo on her neck just like they do. Oh, it's a vicious cycle. Yeah. Uh Though, how did she avoid getting shipped out, you may ask? Well, I'll tell you. It turns out, girls who reach the age of 12 have two different choices in their lives. Get shipped out and be demon chow, or stay in the farms forever and become a mom. There's other criteria too, such as high test scores and recommendation from other moms. But there's a catch, as when they say you're here forever, 
They mean it, as each of the moms and mom prospects are rigged with a device in their chest that will electrocute them should they leave the premises, or if they die another way, then it alerts the higher-ups to their location. So yeah, there's no going. Jeez, that's brutal. It's like, uh, remember Star Wars Episode One? you know, why don't just Anakin and his mom just leave Tatooine? Well, it's because they have, like, uh, chips in their bodies and they'll blow up if they leave the planet. What the fuck? That was actually a thing in that movie? Yeah, it's like that scene where they're at dinner and Anakin's all like, and they'll blow you up! And Jar Jar's like, how old? I legitimately don't <laughs> remember that. <laughs> I never remembered they had, they had chips in their bodies. That's also why they had to bury uh, Anakin's mom in the second movie on Tatooine. They couldn't take her with because she still has like that stupid plot device in her that'll <laughs> blow her up. Sorry, mom. I know you're dead, but like I, I want to bury you somewhere nice. But no, I just can't take this chip out of your body. I I can't even use my Jedi mind powers to get rid of like your <laughs> explosive device in your body. Gotta bury you on this chicken shit planet here. Next to fucking Klieg Lars. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, if you're thinking like, why don't the kids just kill Isabella? There's your answer why. After much reluctance, the kids agree to work with Krona, though they hardly trust her and they feel that at any moment she'll betray them. Krona offers the kids some more info and later that night, Emma and Norman go to a room to see her. now so ask me anything (laughs) hmm we can ask whatever we want yes it can be about the farm or even headquarters then show it to us the thing that receives signal from our trackers oh oh Of course. There's not a lot to it, is there? It shows the current location, but doesn't say who it is. (sighs) So you knew that there were tracking devices. Yeah, we found out from Mom. But we don't know where they are or how to destroy them. Do you know, sister? Yes, they're found in your ear. (laughs) Around here, on the left. Hmm. Hmm. I don't really know how to break them. But I do know that if they're broken, it notifies the tracking tool and HQ. You'd either have to take it out, or just cut that part off. How? There are no sharp blades here. There is one. A scalpel. There's no medicine outside. And I don't want to start our escape with blood loss or infections. The infirmary has medicine and anesthesia you could use. Tools as well. Now, the supply should last at least five kids. I can teach you how to use them. I'll even lend you the key. Since that's settled... Anything else? How old are you exactly? And have you always been a product? Mm-mm-mm. It's pretty rude of you to ask a lady her age. 
but I'm gonna let it slide this time. I'm 26. I was born and raised at this house, though not here at Plant 3, mind you. There's more than one? And from what I saw in the records, it seems Isabella's 31. Tell me, have you seen the outside? Not once. <laughs> oh? Did you think that I'd lie and say yes? I haven't. <laughs> but there are humans out there. The higher-ups in us adults make all the food that you kids eat. However, there are humans who bring your clothes and supplies from outside. I've seen them at headquarters once, and it seemed like they were all in equal standing with each other. What you all need to do is get mixed in with the humans who won't get eaten. <laughs> so, just how long have the demons been around? Demons? Oh, you must mean them. And how did the world get like this? If you know. I don't. <sighs> Where is this house located? No idea. What about the security? Now that I know. There isn't too much. They rely on the tracking devices, so there aren't many guards posted. I doubt they even patrol. Thank you for all your help. Is that it? Yeah. Have a good night. <laughs> so, you already knew where the trackers were and how to break them! I'm actually impressed. I've learned a lot of interesting things during our talk tonight. <sighs> info can be provided without words. Humans tend to give away a lot of information even if they're just standing there. Blinking, gaze, sweating, attitude, gestures, pupils, and pulse. They all hint at what you're really thinking. What gave it away was when I said the tracking device was located in your ear, and neither of you even bothered to check. Then, when you found out how to remove them, you didn't look the least bit happy about it. So, why did you ask when you already found out all on your very own? Is there something you want to hide from me? I bet there's a secret you're all keeping, isn't there? <laughs> anyway, have you heard of the one? <laughs> I bet that you haven't. Do you want to know? I'll save that for your next visit here. So come back anytime. And we can talk much more than we did today. How about this scene right here? Mmm, I like this. Quite a few things come to light here. And yeah, also credits uh, Rebecca Thomas here again. She just goes... She's just a master of being all calm, caring, but then goes to, like, crazy and nuts just so smoothly. Well, yeah, especially through uh, one of Krona's uh, beloved items, too. She carries around, like, this uh, tattered doll. Yeah. This tattered doll that you can uh, clearly tell she is uh, battered and destroyed before. Yeah, she's been pretty abusive to this doll. But it's her, but she, to, to kind of get across her, um, her sort of dis detachment with reality, she talks to it a lot mm. when she's in her room. 
And that's kind of like how, okay, yeah, it's an easy way, sure, it's an easy way for us to learn what's going through her head, because she just, you know, narrates to her doll what her plans are, you know? Okay, yeah, kind of easy to do that there. But yeah, shows just how uh, unhinged she is, and uh, kind of makes you question what kind of system is in place to uh, have made her uh, be so deranged as well. But uh, yeah, it has that with her when she's talking to the kids, and the kids never question it. Yeah, it's just like Emma and Norma are just like, don't ask questions, just ask normal stuff like, what's up with this house, and what about the trackers? Gonna just had Emma go like, oh, that's your uh, doll right there. Why, yes, I've talked to it all my life. It's my only friend, you know. You've got, you've got to keep your friends close in this world. And <laughs> Emma just being all like, oh, nice. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Uh, so before Emma and Norman leave, Krona hints at some more info she'll save for a next time. And she also mentions something pretty big here. Someone known only as The One, or for those who follow the manga, him. Uh, mm. Oh, I know, I know. More spoilers. It's gotta be some messed up shit that, like, I'll love. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, boy. Ooh. I'm guessing Dark God that takes child sacrifices. I'm not going to say anything. (laughs) (laughs) Uh. Uh, And meanwhile, Ray gets his final reward from the outside from Mom. A Polaroid camera. A moment I kind of like here with this camera is uh, Ray takes a picture with it, and after he leaves, uh, the photo develops, and you can see it's a picture of Mom, and she was actually uh, smiling at him when she was uh, taking her picture. Hmm, almost seemed... Almost... It almost feels, it seems like a memento to me. Yeah. Like of, like, of the times that used to be. Mm-hmm. She's kind of, like, looking on him very fondly. Mm. The next day, Emma and Norman tell Ray about what happened with Krona, and they need to break out a little sooner. And Ray tells them that he has everything he needs to break the trackers. As for dealing with Krona, it turns out there's some other plans for her. After some snooping around, Krona finds some incriminating evidence against the kids, and before she can tell Mom... She approaches her with a letter that leaves her in shock. Leads us to episode 8, 2, 11, 45. Congratulations, Sister Krona. You've been chosen to become the next mom of Plant 4. Hey! Not really in a celebratory mood. Yeah, but hey, you know, turns out a position just opened up. Isabel was pushing for Krona to become the next mom and just like, hey, there you go. Very surprisingly, surprisingly nice from Isabella here. Yeah, Krona is rightfully thinking something's up here. Yeah, it's uh, mom is just trying to send her away, you know, get her out of the way. I don't need you anymore. I think she's also thinking that it's just too good to be true as well. Like, wait, I I got the thing I wanted, and like I haven't even made my move yet. Like, yeah, what's that, going on here? Yeah, it's like, oh, I was gonna tell you something about the kids, but oh, I guess I don't need to. I got what I wanted. Tells you a lot about her that she's immediately doubting this, that she's, like, getting everything she wants, like, like, it can't come that easily. Like, L.A. Noir, the proms come up, press X to doubt. Yes, she's, she's, she'd be pressing that button real hard right now. <laughs> the line. So, Krona leaves and goes to the main gate, and there she runs into Grandma, the head of the moms here. We don't know much about her, but she's a mysterious old woman shrouded in mystery. Uh, but, you know, thoughts on this debut of Grandma here and what eventually becomes of Sister Corona? Well, for, for Grandma here, commands uh, just as much respect as Isabella does, if not more. <laughs> and poor, poor Corona gets the raw end of everything here. Yeah, it turns out it was all just a ruse. And now 
she was eaten and killed by a demon. Yep. But, but yeah, and, uh, yeah, you know, and, uh, and even, we even get, uh, pretty much her whole life story laid out before she dies as well. Yeah, while this scene is going on, we get, like, interspliced flashbacks of Sister Crona's life from when she was, like, a little kid growing up as an orphan on the farm to how she went from orphan to being a sister and trained to be a mom in sort of a Age of Ultron Black Widow style training sessions here. Yeah, weird how I feel more for Krona here than I have for uh, other anime series where they uh, dump a character's life story before they get defeated. Like, you know, we give or out... Or died, about, rather. Like, you know, we give out about that in our Black Clover episode about how, in the middle of something important, here's your backstory. Well, we like, I... stupid. Well, I'm talking... I was thinking more uh, further back to, like, uh, Bleach as well. That, too. Where, like, that, that was where I think it was... Um, even worse than, because uh, I think Black Clover took some notes from Bleach. <laughs> because Bleach was the earliest one where I could, the earliest anime I could remember where, like, they just did that wrong all the time. Just, like, <laughs> dumped the entire reason you should care about this character out right before their uh, great fall. But yeah, I found myself wondering why I liked it uh, so much better here with Krona. Uh, I don't know, maybe because it's because they uh, they sell it a lot better with the uh, visuals. You see just how far and how much she has lost coming so far. Yeah, this is just another example of like the animation team and how really good they are at just visual storytelling. Like, no dialogue. This is all presented to you like in these flashbacks while it's interspliced with her getting killed by a demon, while at the same time interspliced with the kids eating dinner so it's like it's the same thing for the demon he's eating while they're eating right right but yeah it really illustrates just how you know she really was just another like cog in the system she's just another victim yeah just another victim through it all oh by the way this whole flashback scene actually not in the manga this is actually anime only you know i was thinking that for a second as we were talking about it because you hadn't brought up the manga by then Mm mm-hmm so yeah, that's what I kind of figured as well. Yeah, it's just like, hey, good on this animation team. Good job, Cloverworks. Yeah, well, it's just nice that they were able to uh, like kind of show that as well. Because like I know, I know for other anime out there, they might not be as like kind to uh, let them just throw that out there. No. Also, during these uh, flashbacks, we actually do get to see how Corona came in possession of a certain pen and box that she eventually leaves for the kids before she heads out to meet her doom. Hmm. Nice detail. And so ends the ballad of Sister Krona. Pour one out for her. Press oh, F in the chat. Pour one out for Krona. And pour one out for Rebecca, too, so that she may get some, like, other more good roles in the future. Give her your positive energy. Like, God, this this is one to put on the resume. Oh, yeah, put that at the top of the list. Mm, yes. Afterwards, Mom tells Ray that she had Krona removed from the equation, and it's right as the kids plan to inspect behind the wall. She locks Ray in a room and goes after Emma and Norman. Oh, shit. Oh, mother, mother's making her move. Love the moment when Mom comes outside. She, she passes by Don and Gilda, and she just gives them a knowing glance. Like, I know you guys are a part of this. You think I'm stupid. I'm not. Mm. Don knows something is wrong and goes to free Ray. Then the two and Gilda go after Mom to stop her before she gets to Emma and Norman. But they're too late. Mom approaches Emma and Norman, and they talk for the first time without acting. I'm not your mother. You're not my kids. I'm just running this farm. You are the merchandise. But she says it almost, but still with, like, that uh, slightly caring uh, voice, though. Yeah, like, even though she's dropping the facade, she still can't stop being a mom. Yeah, she still sort of, like, sells this facade a little bit. Hey, Mom. 
wrong? Ten years. Uh-huh. That's how long we've been living together. But this is the first time we've talked without any of us acting. <laughs> it's nice to meet you, Emma. And the same goes for you, Norman. <laughs> Come now. Why do you look so worried? It's only me, so you're free to relax. There isn't anyone else around. You don't have to act like good little kids who don't know anything. Right now, we're the caretaker and the children meant to be food. <clears throat> However, I must admit, I love every one of the children I've raised. I do, truly. As if you all were my own children. That's why I came out here to ask that you just give up. You want us to... Give up? <laughs> give up resisting. <laughs> I love you all and don't want you to suffer. And I especially don't want to be the cause of your suffering. This life is happy, isn't it? You get to live in a warm house filled with delicious food and love. If you can stay oblivious to the truth, then you are able to die feeling satisfied. So how does that sound like anything but paradise? That's what you think this is? Are you saying that this happy life was worth what Connie went through? Death happens in an instant. Until the moment she died, Connie experienced a rich life full of smiles and laughter. What's the point if it's all just fake? I'm going to live freely even if I suffer for it! Then I'll decide happiness for myself! Stop! Norman... Escaping is impossible. And it's dangerous outside. You don't really want to go out there. Now, why don't we all go back to living happily together, like none of this happened? My greatest wish is for the five of you to live joyous lives until your time eventually runs out. Five? Not three? Stop being a good kid. Huh. Go, Norman! you to give up but I'm glad you hugged me for the first time in a while <laughs> and you realized it quickly Norman I'm impressed yes I'll control all of you until the very end because you're different than most of the other children 
your special food that only a special one is able to eat. The highest quality of children I've ever raised. So then... That's why I have to protect you all, no matter the cost. I was forced to do this because it was clear you weren't going to give up. to move for a while which means i'll have no worries for tomorrow tomorrow yes that's right you can stay and celebrate emma huh? there was a notice from headquarters so congrats norman the time for you to be shipped has come <laughs> <gasps> <gasps> And what do you think of, like, her motives as to, like, why she's doing this? Mm, like complex, that's like, for sure. Like, you know, you get killed by demons, that's a thing, but I'm still giving you a great life. I'm letting you live your life to the fullest before you meet your doom. She telegraphs very well through her uh, behavior and uh, her words as well that, um, that uh, there really is no choice in this world. And that there's no escape from this. Yeah, that, like, this is, this is something you're never going to escape. Yeah, try as you might. You're not going to escape. So just accept it. Like I have. <laughs> and I love the little moment of when Mom says that she'll deal with all five of them. And then Emma and Norman re realize, like, huh, why did she say five instead of three? And then they're like, oh, she knows about Don and Gilda, too. Mm -hmm. They're not safe either. Nope. And coming up, like, one of the most unsettling moments in the entire series to me. Norman tries to make a run for it. Emma tries to hold off Isabella, but then Isabella fucking breaks Emma's leg. Holy shit. And then she consoles her and cradles her after that. There's that misery <laughs> comparison right there. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> Hobbles the kid so can't get away from the herd. <laughs> and like how she just says like, oh, it's just fine. It's a clean break. It won't leave a scar. Oh, God. And how she like carries her back and everything. And she still, she still can't stop being a mom. She's still motherly to her, even though she just broke her fucking leg. I know. Ugh. Yeah. Emma, you should have you should have punched for her in the gut, okay? <laughs> I know it's a cheap move, but it's effective. Yeah. <laughs> and on top of all this, Isabella informs Norman that he's set to be shipped out tomorrow. Goddamn. No. <laughs> and now, episode 9, 3, 11, 45. So yeah, we're all fucking boned here. Yeah, this is this is going to be a pretty uh, hopeless episode ahead here. And the kids realize that mom is more powerful than they once thought since they now realize, oh, she got rid of Sister Corona too, and she's about to do the same to Norman. You know, he's the brains of the operation. You get rid of him, their escape plan should just be moot at that point. Yeah. Uh, did you love the scene of Norman trying to keep a strong face in front of Emma, and like after he like leaves her room to go down the hallway... He just breaks down and just like the the situation just hits him like a ton of bricks and he's just like 
oh god, I'm gonna <sighs> die. Very effective. Very effective. <laughs> Short moment, but nonetheless powerful. Like, moments like these are masterclass in the series. Right. Oh. Ray isn't gonna just give up, and neither is Emma, and the two come up with a plan to have Norman escape all by himself for now. The plan is to have Norman pretend to go along with being shipped, and then escape, but then not really escape escape. He'll disable the tracker and just hide out in the woods until the day of the real escape goes down. That's just crazy and stupid enough to work. <laughs> <laughs> However, Norman doesn't want to go through with it, because if he doesn't get shipped, then that means they'll just go after Ray and Emma, because they're next. And Norman's just willing to sacrifice himself to save his friends. He's willing to be the martyr here. Emma and Ray aren't going to accept that, and I love how they come up with, like, other ideas to try to stop themselves from being shipped in Norman's place. Like, the shows that in the end they're still little kids and they think of the most little kid ideas here. Like, <laughs> ah, demons won't want Emma because her leg's broken, so why don't have Ray break his arm so they won't take him? <laughs> oh, we should get sick because demons don't want gross sick kid meat. We should act stupid, and then they'll think our brains are, aren't worth eating anymore. It's like, ah, oh, God, this stupid little kid, this is not going to go well. It'll probably give me indigestion. <laughs> I just love how, like, their intelligence is, like, directly tied to their, like, greater worth. It's so strange, you it's... know? It's like, these demons do know that that does not, like, make the brain inherently tastier, right? <laughs> Unless they literally feed on thoughts. Like, I don't know, like, what they actually get from brains, like, here. I don't want to say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but their ideas move Norman to tears, and it's just so sweet. I love these kids. <laughs> so the plan is all set. Norman will disable the tracker in his ear, disappear, scout out the wall, and when the time comes, they'll all escape together. By the way, there's something that's uh, bothering Norman. When did Ray realize that something was going on with his orphanage? Like, when did that happen? Well, the secret is, he's always known. There's a thing called infantile amnesia that when babies reach a certain age, they forget everything from before then. But Ray was one of the rare cases where he didn't forget. He remembers most everything ever since he was in the womb. He remembers the gate, headquarters, other farms, and also someone singing a lullaby to him. Remember that. Afterwards, before the end of the night, Norman looks into his drawer and finds the pen and box left by Sister Corona. The next day, the plan goes into action as Norman runs into the forest, scales the wall, and looks out. Well, whatever he saw out there looks to be very surprising, but, you know, I'm just, I'm sure he's just marveling at the outside world to him. He's, go, he's all like, ah, so close yet so far, everything's still gonna be great. Right. Sunset comes, and where's Norman? Hell, <laughs> what well, now, Mom? What are you gonna do? Oh, wait, there's Norman. He's back. Oh, fuck. We gave you one job, Norman. We gave you one job. You had one job. Hide out in the forest, wait until it's time to escape, but no, you come walking back all da 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 We had a plan, buddy. Yeah, had some trust in you, Norm. <laughs> so why did he come back? It was a cliff. Beyond the wall is a cliff. They're probably all thinking to themselves like, oh, that's why they're, we didn't hear any demon patrols. Yeah. There's a big cliff over that wall. Surrounding... The entire farm and the only bridge is the bridge that connects to headquarters at the front gate. Oh, clever. This series really knows how to stress you out. Which brings us to episode 10, 13, 1, 46. On a scale of 1 to 10, how fucked are we? <laughs> what, what, with 10 being fucked and 1 being screwed? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say 10 billion. <laughs> So yeah, we can't use the wall to escape. Norman gives the tracker breaker back and accepts his fate of being shipped as he didn't want to screw up the plan and he wanted to protect Emma and Ray. He's made his choice. Ugh. As Norman packs up, 
though, where he's going, he's not going to need anything. Yeah. And he finds a string cup phone, and this leads him to reminisce about happier times. And how cute is this flashback to little baby Norman and little baby Emma? <laughs> you know, little Norman, he's like sick from playing in the snow for too much, but Emma still wants to play with him and be with him. But Isabella's just like, no, you'll get sick too, and keeps dragging her out <laughs> until she hears from Ray, hey, we can like connect these little paper cups with string and then we could talk to each other through the door. <laughs> Though I love Ray saying, like, you know, you just scream so loud, you can just hear you through the door anyway. <laughs> And I do love the little moments where, like, Emma keeps trying to sneak in, but Isabella keeps, like, dragging her out, kicking and screaming. Oh, oh it's so sad. It's just like, oh, she just wants to be with little Norman. No. It's so sugary sweet, I feel like I need to go to the dentist. But now, it's time. Dead kid walking. Yep. All the kids bid their farewells to Norman, and Emma says goodbye last. Or does she? <laughs> Emma lunges towards Norman and attempts to use the device to break his tracker so he can make a break for it, but Norman stops her. Norman calls Emma reckless, but she's also true to herself. And you know, that's what he likes about her, in all honesty. And it's not outright said, but you can tell that Norman really, really does care for Emma. Yeah. Norman says goodbye, and he and Mom have one final conversation as she escorts him to the gate. He then asks her one question that catches her off guard. Hey, Mom. Are you happy? And she responds with, after kind of composing herself, Yes. Yes, I am. After all, I was able to meet you. Ah, oh, damn. Damn. Hits you like a sledgehammer. Yeah. So Norman sees the truck where it'll all end for him. He slowly walks up to it until Mom stops him, calls him over to a room off to the side. She wants him to wait in this room. The door is open, and this is the last we see of Norman. Yeah, probably a waiting room or something. You know, maybe the demon sent to come pick him up was late or something. Ah, uh, more stuff I'm sure we learn about in the manga. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. I, know. I mean, I don't, know what, I don't know what happens, but like, I'm like, I know. I know. Like, <laughs> oh, soon. Life continues at Gracefield House, but it's all empty without Norman. Emma and Ray have just locked themselves away from everyone else. Ray's just fully given up at this point, and he's just... He's just so tired. Later that night, Mom goes to Emma and tells her to just give up, and then she offers her a chance to grow up and become a mom candidate. Tells her that it's just pointless, you can either die or live and stay here forever. But Emma rightly refuses this, and time continues to pass on by. Really, really heartbreaking scene right here, like where Emma has just fallen into like this deep depression. She's just like laying up against the tree outside. All the other kids, like Nat, Anna, and Phil, are all just trying to like talk to her and cheer her up, and then just... Oh, good boy Phil just starts crying too and just hugs her. It's just, it honestly made me tear up, honestly. Ray is just like resigning himself to the library, almost like he's looking for an answer somewhere, but just drawing blanks. Yeah, Don and Gilda, you know, they're trying to figure out like, what do we do next? Are we still going with the plan? Like, you guys are just not telling us anything anymore. More time passes, and now we've come to January 14th. Late at night, Emma finds Ray in the dining room humming a very peculiar song. Tonight's Ray's last night as tomorrow he turns 12 and gets shipped out. He then asks Emma if she's truly given up. Then Emma gives him a weak yet slightly confident smile. And now we're at episode 11, 14, 1, 46. On the home stretch as we hit the penultimate episode. Emma refuses to give up. She doesn't want Norman's death to be in vain. While she and Ray haven't been talking these past two months, the escape plan has been going full steam ahead. Emma left Don and Gilda in charge to train the other kids, and they look to have enough supplies for dealing with the outside world, 
They can leave whenever. So while all this is going on, they've still been preparing. As for the actual escape, Emma wants to leave in the morning before Ray gets shipped out, but Ray says no, they need to leave tonight. They need to deal with escape under the cover of night, and they need to get away from Mom's watchful eye. Ray's got that last part covered, as he's gonna pull a Seth Rollins and burn it down! Oh, yes. Ray, you're my favorite. Ray is gonna light the house on fire so security and mom will focus on putting it out while the kids escape. Oh, yes. And that's one of the things that the opening hinted at. The fire in the opening. They've been foreshadowing this the entire time. Well, it seems like Ray has been foreshadowing this for his entire life, because he straight up says, like, this is something he's planned for a long time. Yeah, like, you know, simply pouring oil all over the place and starting the fire, that ain't enough. Mom's gonna be more focused on protecting the merchandise over the house, and Ray's got that covered. Or rather, he's covered. In oil, that is. <laughs> Ray plans to set himself on fire, too, so Mom will be distracted trying to save him while everyone escapes, He's been playing this since the beginning as a way to stick it to mom and the demons. He doesn't want to give them the satisfaction of being eaten. Goddamn, Ray, you're fucking amazing. Ray, you have the same love for irony that I love. (laughs) Because, of course, that is something I would do. I would absolutely make myself the most desirable product and then burn burn myself down. (laughs) Oh, just dangle the carrot and take it away. Yes. Like fuck, man! You want you want to eat a child? Here, I'll serve it to you. A nice, I'll serve it to you, grilled or crispy. <laughs> <laughs> Just gotta char it. <laughs> uh, the clock strikes midnight, and Ray, it's your birthday. Happy birthday, Ray! <laughs> <laughs> this scene is so good. <laughs> oh yeah, and he's about to light the best candle of all. <laughs> Make a wish, <laughs> and it cuts to mom right as the clock. It's midnight, and off-screen, you just hear Emma's screaming out for Ray. This leads her to investigate, and comes upon the fire, just as the theme song predicted. It's on fire. Oh! Mom checks her tracker to see the blip in the fire, indicating that Ray is in the blaze. All the kids evacuate the house as Mom tries to put out the fire, or at least try to save Ray's chess club brain. Extinguishers and sprinklers aren't working, and right as Mom tells Emma to get out of the house, she's already left. She checks her tracker, follows a blip that seems to be Emma's, and leads her to a hallway until it just stops. Mom goes up to a blip, leads her to a little bucket on the floor, looks in it, picks up a severed left ear. Emma's severed left ear with her tracker still in it. Ooh, clever girl. You fallen into our trap, Mom. God, what do you think of this escape? I mean, this is where everything for, like, this entire series just all comes together, man. It all comes together, and it's so damn satisfying. God damn, it's so amazing. Because what plan have these children compiled together? Emma not only played Mom, she also played Ray, too. All the kids were in on this, because during these past two months, Emma wasn't depressed. She hasn't given up. She was secretly telling all the kids about everything, one group after another. Don and Gilda were, like, getting everyone ready through more games to tag and also other games, too, that can aid with the escape. They've been stocking up on food and supplies this entire past two months. A long time ago, Emma had the other kids, like, listen in on the conversation that she yes! and Norman had with, Cro- with Crona. Like, it was planned. They had been informing the kids of everything that had truly happened way back when. Yeah, like that scene with Crona. 
Turns out on the other side of the door was Anna, Nat, Lanny, and Tama all listening there too. So all the kids heard about heard all that talk about like the farms and them being cattle. The trackers, the everything, the fact that there are other plants and everything else. Like, oh, they all knew. Oh, you kids are so smart. You are so fucking smart. And Emma got this plan from Norman. As he knew Ray was playing this the entire time, planning to like kill himself off so everyone can escape right before he got shipped out. Norman is helping from beyond the grave. <laughs> and he left her the pen and box from Sister Crona. This is all so fucking smart. The only thing that would have been the perfect cherry on top is if they just left, like, right next to the ear, a Polaroid of, like, Ray and Emma just flipping yeah. off mom. <laughs> mom. Yeah. <laughs> or just all the kids together for a big group photo and they're all just flipping her off. Suck it, mom. <laughs> Love your darling children. <laughs> <laughs> So all the kids make their way to the wall and finally leave this godforsaken place. Well, not all of them. Mom looks upon her burning house and vows to find Ray and Emma until a little hand reaches out and grabs onto her. Phil is still here and the rest of the four-year-old and under kids too. They're not going. They're staying. First time I thought I saw that, I was like, oh, Phil, you dumb little fuck. <laughs> Why didn't you follow the others? <laughs> but no. Worst character. Oh, whoa. watch what you say there. Oh, I'm, 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 re I'm ready for a robble here. <laughs> Which brings us to episode 12, 15, 1, 46. Time to bring it on home. <laughs> Emma made the decision to leave the four-year-old and under kids behind for now because it would be much safer to keep them here rather than have them come in with and try to protect them from the elements and whatever monsters might be out in the, in the real world. Emma decides to inform one of the four-year-olds about this, that being super best boy five ever, Phil. And turns out he's actually a pretty smart cookie, as, as he's been picking up on this over these uh, past few months. You know, he's been suspecting something's up by looking at, like, what how other characters have been feeling. You know, seeing Sister Corona kind of snooping around the kids' rooms and stuff like that. Yeah, despite his innocent demeanor, he's actually been, he actually takes, attaches pretty well to all this. Yeah, so, like, all those, like, little scenes of him being kind of cute and aloof, he's been actually... This has just been all there to serve and fuel his uh, suspicion. And since shipments don't start until the kids turn six, they have at least two years. So Emma promises to come back within those two years and save Phil and the other kids. And not just these other kids, they also plan to save all the kids from the other plants too because they're all family just like they are. Oh, revolution, baby. Oh, you gotta rise up. Phil is left in charge and he promises to watch over the other kids until Emma comes back. What a good boy. Hmm. After seeing that the younger kids are safe, Mom goes after Emma and the others and she calls in an alert and sounds the alarms, making sure all the demons are waiting by the gate because she knows that's their only escape route. Or is it? Emma and the others hear this and Ray says they're still far from the bridge. But aha, where we're going, we don't need a bridge. The plan is to throw a rope across the cliff, create a zip line so the kids can cross to the other side while avoiding any demons. And they were planning for this too because you get flashbacks of Don practicing throwing a rope with a stone attached to it and trying to wrap it around a tree. And all the kids practicing zip lining on coat hangers. Oh, the plan that's all coming together. God, what do you think of this, like, smart escape? Well, well I will admit, I kind of wish they would have at least uh, shown a little bit of the, uh, at least some of the uh, horseplay they had before that uh, would have foreshadowed uh, this occurring, I suppose. Because it, it is right here that they like actually showed they played these games before and did this kind of prep, and I guess I would have preferred if they like impl they like foreshadowed that a little bit better. But man, the plan is so 
clever that you completely ignore that. Yeah, they do. I do remember they foreshadow one certain thing, and that's the uh, the bottle rockets that launch more ropes. Because in a previous episode, you do see Lanny and Tama playing with like these little water bottle rockets. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. One out of one out of three ain't bad. Yeah, <laughs> but still, they all train for this. These kids, man. <laughs> Ray, who thought everyone would be a burden initially, realizes that, oh wait, they're fully capable and probably even more capable than he is. Don't underestimate your siblings, Ray. And he also starts to realize this more with the help of a Norman Force Ghost. Woo! Oh yeah, this is a spooky episode, isn't it? <laughs> Ray, you killed me! What? No, I didn't. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, just learn to trust our siblings. Trust them. Trust them. I knew there was a point of this being our Halloween episode. It's and, got a ghost. And I'm Hayden Christensen. <laughs> Ray now feels confident about his younger siblings and gives them some extra motivation to get across. He gives Lanny and Thomas some extra support and he crosses along with Jemima, who's feeling scared. By the way, anyone else find it awkward that the one black girl is named Jemima? Mm. <laughs> that was like the only thing I could think of, and I'm just like, really? You couldn't think of another name? That just now hit me. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Japan. Back with Mom, she gets word from the demons that the kids aren't anywhere near the bridge and that she realizes where they're actually escaping. As with some interspliced flashbacks, we've come to see that Mom has experience with something like this. And yeah, I'll splice in this final scene right here because it's a good one. Goodbye to our house. Goodbye to the home we all grew up in and loved so much. And of course, bye, Mom. Please don't go, Emma. I don't want my darling children to leave. about that. I was climbing the tree when I heard a beautiful song playing, so... Is it an original? Yeah. It's a beautiful melody. Does it have a name? Actually, it doesn't. It's so good! Let me hear more of it! Huh? <laughs> Fine, but don't tell anyone else, because it's embarrassing. Mm. 
Starting next year, I'm putting you in charge of Plant 3, Isabella. Yes, I look forward to it. you give birth to me? Well, Ray, I... did it to survive. Longer than anyone. I guess that's it then. It looks like I've lost. 
Run, children. And be careful. Mom and Isabella have their final confrontation, and we get more flashbacks to Isabella's as well as the origin of her song. What do you think of this? Uh, just, just sad, cause, cause again, it kind of repeats the theme we saw with Krona that like she's just a, she's just another person who got like stuck in this whole like messed up system that turns human against human that makes like monsters of others and just like eats upon itself, like. She wanted to escape, too. Like, she was actually in the same position as Emma, but, like, she was brought back by one of the, like, her mom from one of the past orphanages, and that's what led her to become the mom of Gracefield, and she wanted to do the exact same thing with Emma, because she saw a lot of herself in her. And in the flashbacks, you can actually see, like, yeah, they're very similar. They're very, like, hyper-athletic little girls back in the day. Yeah, you, you kind of see that hopelessness in her as she realized that the cliff was there, and, like, she kind of got thrown into the same cycle of hopelessness. And just resigning oneself to a fate of either, uh, you know, either ruling or being eaten, you know. But, um, no, in this moment, though, it all comes back to uh, her kind of realizing that uh, uh, those ki- these kids that she had right here, her kids, they're not like her, you know. They, they actually want to break this cycle. They're not as cynical as her. Right. Like, they found a way that she never found. And not only do we get the reveal of more of Isabella's past and the reveal of the song that she was humming at the beginning... We also get the reveal, this big reveal, Isabella is Ray's birth mother. Oh. Like, I love how they did that, like, Isabella is, like, going by outside, walking through the forest, then she hears the familiar tune, the tune that was written by uh, a boy that she kind of had a thing for before he got shipped out, you know, it's kind of like her one last memento of this, like, one boy. Right. She had it, she used it as a lullaby to her uh, baby that she was kind of uh, carrying. And then, like, as she slowly hears the song elsewhere that no one else should know, she starts to realize, oh no, oh no, like, you feel it. And then she just shows little baby Ray sitting by a tree, reading a book, humming the song. And then she just, and then he just, like, asks mom about all about it. And then she just says, I did all this to live as long as I possibly could. I know, all of this does such a good job of humanizing Isabella and making her a much more a sympathetic villain. And I remember the very first time I watched this episode, the original Japanese simulcast, and uh, I wasn't watching this at home or anything. I was watching this on my phone while waiting for autographs at Anime Detour this past year. So imagine me watching this episode, trying not to freak out, trying to no-sell it, while surrounded by other people waiting in line for an hour. Oh. Like, internally, I was flipping out, but I was trying so hard just to play cool. But I do remember there was one moment where, where we have the reveal. I was like, Oosh! but I tried to hold myself together. What were you in line for, by, by any chance? Uh, autographs for uh, Josh Greeley. Oh, really? Yeah, you should have... Should have gushed to him when you got up there, like, "Oh man, you gotta see the last episode of Promise Neverland, bud." <laughs> Thank you for the signature. <sighs> yeah, thanks for signing my year and ice. By the way, watch Promise Neverland. <laughs> oh, holy shit, this fucking series, man. <laughs> yeah. And so, Mom has lost and has accepted her defeat. A new day dawns as she wishes her fugitive children all the luck in the world. And so ends the Promise Neverland. For now. As after the series' initial airing, it was announced that it would be getting a second season slated to air in 2020. Totally well-deserved second season, and after the season aired, like, yeah, 
I jumped right into the manga, got caught up in like a weekend, and it's all, and yeah, I did it through the official Shonen Jump app, like two bucks a month, you get all the Shonen Jump manga you want. Yeah, go buy it. <laughs> yeah, they aren't sponsoring us, I just really like the app. Yeah. But yeah, if you're someone out there who just watched the anime, hasn't checked out the manga yet, oh boy, you ain't seen nothing yet, and I mean nothing yet. Oh, you're getting me excited, bud. But that is a story for another day. Final thoughts on The Promised Neverland. Final thoughts, final thoughts, good. Um, I think this is an all-around solid first season of an anime. Uh, like I said, briskly paced, uh, great uh, great grasp of its characters, um, great, uh, some of the most well-written child characters I've ever seen in, a, in any work out there. Yeah. Uh, anime or otherwise. Um, all everything's smartly written. Uh, the author really has a um, really has a deft hand for uh, writing plots, for writing uh, schemes, and uh, writing how those characters uh, play off, how their characters play off one another. Uh, just all around, very very intricately written. It, it almost reminds me of how tightly written and how well constructed the plot of like a Full Metal Alchemist was. You know, like I actually do put it to those like to those heights where it's just as where it's 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 a written work where everything is plotted out by the author so perfectly well where everything meshes into each other incredibly well and yeah it really does get me excited to read the uh, manga someday uh, someday when i have more time you know but um yeah i would recommend but yeah it, it makes me want to recommend to anybody to go check out the manga if they can't wait like if you can't wait for the next season of anime like yeah i would say go check out the manga i haven't read it but like <laughs> you know like i would rec you gotta have more of that like good writing you know yeah you gotta have more of everything this series gives it is a it is a true gem of a series uh one that i would also i don't know this is I don't. This I got this weird feeling from it too, but it's almost that kind of series that I would almost recommend for uh, like a newcomer to anime. Almost. Oh yeah, definitely. Maybe it's just like the fact that it covers like kid characters, but God, I could see like uh, some young uh, kid, preteen or teenager really attaching themselves onto these characters. Because I mean, I give I give uh, more credit to kids these days to understand more complex subjects. I mean, we've got such great cartoons these days as, like... We've had more such great cartoons in recent years as, like, Adventure Time and Steven Universe and Gravity Falls, so I give credit to kids that are consuming that kind of media yeah. to consume something like this. You know, and, uh, and kids I've even seen today are, like, even watch such works, works as, like, Stranger Things, too. Oh, yeah, too. definitely. I mean, it's, it's pretty popular with kids, you know, so... <laughs> I would say for for the for the for the kids watching the Stranger Things out there, you know, uh, I would definitely recommend The Promised Neverland. These are kid characters I could really see a uh, younger generation really attaching themselves onto, and I would be so happy to see uh, that kind of generation adopting uh, this as their uh, their swan song, almost as you could say. Yeah, like I totally agree, especially with that last part about people who watch Stranger Things, because I can totally see. Emma in the group, kind of like gelling pretty well with people who like, you know, Mike and Elle in the group from Stranger Things. <laughs> yeah, kids from Stranger Things could also teach them uh, tons of new swears. Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, goddamn, what a fucking phenomenal show. And just, it's just season one. This Ooh. is just the first arc. And like I said, you ain't seen nothing yet. Just, 
everything is great. It's like one of the most well directed animes in recent memory, and like all of that is just the director and the animation team like taking like what uh, Shirai did with the manga and like going full force, going all in on it. I love all these characters. They are just like some of the best written kid characters, and, like even some of the best kid characters in general, and like anything I've seen recently. Mm, yeah, it's 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 one of those works that I really hope to see flourish more in the future. Yeah, and also like this this being like a Shonen Jump series, like Shonen Jump known for like very much action battle anime, but I feel like uh, fits perfectly, even though this isn't like a big you know fist punching fighting anime. Yeah, it reminds me almost of like uh, how like Attack on Titan was kind of initially viewed as like stepping outside the bounds a little bit with its uh, sense of uh, mystery and intrigue as well. Yeah, like. Promise Neverland, way better than Attack on Titan. That's no hyperbole. Yeah, and ne- Neverland also just, like, so, has a much more deft hand with the uh, suspense and, like, as well. This show knows how to do suspense well. Like I said earlier, this show knows how to stress you out. Because I remember, like, episode 9, where we see the cliff at the end of the episode. Like, I was freaking out, going, like, what the fuck are they gonna do? Right, right. Like, trying to rack my brain out like, how are these kids going to escape? And, like, they even outsmarted me. Like, oh, I never thought of that. I know, the plot just keeps outsmarting itself. Oh, it's it's what makes it so delightful, so utterly, uh, like, crushable. Yeah, like, I would go as far as to say, like, this is worthy of being, like, say, in the top five of, like, Shonen Jump series. Like, you know, up there with a One Piece, My Hero, and Dr. Stone. Right, right. It's so freaking good. I can't wait for season two and... Yeah, 2020 can't come here soon enough. I know. I hope it's a bright future for the Promised Neverland. Thank you for listening to our Halloween special and our one-year anniversary podcast. I've been your host, Mikey, and you can find me at my social medias at MikeyShota on Twitter and MikeyShota.tumblr.com and MikeyShota on Instagram. Where can we find you, Ryan? You can find me at WolfishGrin on Twitter and WolfishGrin on Tumblr. Follow the show's Twitter at anime underscore baybe. That's anime underscore B-A-Y B-A-Y. Also, if you want to find our podcast, we got animebaybay.podbean.com, our main hub of where I have all the episodes. And also, if you want to put the show in like any of your uh, search engines for any of your podcasting machines, whatever you use, whatever apps you use, search Anime Bebe and you will find us there. And if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, please send them to animebaybaypod at gmail.com. And here is a toast to one year of Anime Bebe. Yes, thanks again for listening. Thanks again for all your support for you listeners out there. Thank you so much. Whether you're a new listener, whether you came in during the middle of our first year, or whether you've been down since day one-ish, thank you. Here's to another year of the podcast and beyond. Happy Halloween, and this has been, and always will be, Anime Anime Bebe! Bebe. Bleh. (laughs) (laughs) Woo!